Lighting, that's disgusting. What? Dude. No, mm. that's that's an old <sighs> can. What's that? That's an old can. Yeah, that, but... Um, no, that was the can of Monster you had last time we were in here. No, that was from... No, <gasps> it's not. It is? Yeah, dude. You just drank a week old monster. <laughs> That's it. Is there- are Hold there, on. Hi, I'm trying to see ants in there. I didn't really- Dude, ooh. you're you're so lucky that it's wintertime and it's mm-hmm. been cold and raining. Otherwise, you would have just had a protein shake. I just picked it up and it was- uh, It's cold. I thought it was this week. Because <gasps> this building's My other one is cold. over on the table. The one uh, I brought with me. This one is a week old. Dude, oh. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you drinking that? Apparently, Monster Ultraviolet still uh, still keeps after Oh, a I week. know why. Because there's so much radiation in there. <laughs> it just, it's self-radiating. Yeah. And, now, uh, I don't- Hold on. Do you have a Flashlight? Oh, I have a flashlight no, I'm, not, I'm not. I don't even want to know. I'm going to look at, hold on, flashlight inside. I don't inside. even want to know. There's nothing floating. You're so lucky. Yeah, no, Dude, cool. that's disgusting. Mm. And you're drinking a second swig. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh, <laughs> God, that's horrible. Dude, I'm, I'm, I fear for this you. This is why my body, I'm going to live to like 200 years old because I'm so well-preserved. No, I think you're going to live to about 50. Yeah. Speaking of well-preserved, mm-hmm. <laughs> do you think <laughs> Nissan Titans are filled with monster ultraviolet in order to get that five-year, 100,000-mile warranty? No, 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 just solid engineering. Well, you're not solidly engineered. <laughs> no, I'm What's going to outlast you, a new Titan or you? Uh, what? Oh, the Nissan Titan. There's no, no question. <laughs> well, you know you can get a uh, Nissan Titan or Titan XD with a five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. So special thanks to Nissan, our presenting sponsor of the Truck Show podcast. And don't forget, Decked. Yes, if you're looking for a storage solution, an elegantly designed uh, well-engineered smooth rolling, smooth rolling. Smooth. So, what it is, if you don't know what decked is, it is a, a drawer system with a hard a plastic deck on the top. So you can, you're not giving up any. It's like a false floor with drawers in it. Uh, yeah, a false floor. So you're still putting your dirt bike or your yeah. quad or your lumber, pounds. all that stuff on top. Yep. And it's I don't know what. How tall are they? Like like, Eighteen inches or something like that. Are they that thick? Twelve. What they are, they they go the depth of your bed, uh-huh. and they slide all the way out. And they have locks. They have you can configure them any way you want, but you can put anything from a long rifle to ice skates. You know anything you want. Ice here. skates, really? Well, the reason ice skates came up uh-huh. is I was talking earlier to a guy who was at a hockey game in Minnesota. So okay. I just at least I it was skating. ice. At least it was ice skating through hockey. I'm, yeah, exactly. That, that's a good. That's a good save. So I wasn't down at the rink earlier. No, I was <laughs> you know, like doing well, doing pirouettes. Whether you need a uh, a Nissan Envy commercial van or a Nissan Frontier or mm-hmm. a Nissan full size half ton and half ton plus Nissan Titan or Titan XD five year hundred thousand mile warranty you can stick your deck system in any of those products and what do you say time to start the show indeed the truck show we're gonna show you what we know we're gonna answer what the truck cause truck rides with the truck show we have the lifted we have the lowered and everything in between we'll talk about Trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline. The truck show, the truck show, the truck show. Oh, oh. It's the truck show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. Hey now, we have so much to get to on this show. Wait, we said that last week. Oh, we did get to all of it on last show. <laughs> We actually have stuff on the show we didn't get to last show. So last show was so long. Check this out. It was so long, and our bit rate was too high. Oh, well, by the way, just it, before you, I know you're going to say, we had plenty of complaints and you guys freaking out saying that it wasn't on Spotify. So I was emailing you guys back you, through Instagram, through Facebook, and email with, why isn't 53? And I was giving you alternate <laughs> ways to find us, because we are everywhere, whether it's uh, Apple, Google, Pandora. A lot of you said you went to Pandora, believe it or not. That was That's cool. great. But here's the deal. We made a show that was so big 
Spotify could not import us. We found out that there's a 200 megabyte cap. By the way, that's 200 megabytes. Yes, 200 meg <laughs> cap. All right. And we went over that. I was at 255. So so three hours is probably going to be our limit in the future because <laughs> we're at three and a half and that thing was a monster. All right. So I want to start off the show. I know you have audio to get to, yes. right? Tell me really quick what you want to get to because I'm going to slide my guest in first. Okay. Well, we've got all sorts of stuff. I... Uh, was at a drive this week mm-hmm. with the all-new Jeep Gladiator pickup truck. You knew everything. We'd both seen the truck, the, uh-huh. the Gladiator. Sure. How much more was there to learn? Oh, there was a lot. Really? Yeah. No, they, they, it's it's super awesome. Um, there's a ton of things that uh, the Gladiator, like little features and things, things okay. that were just done right, got okay. to experience, drive it, drove it off-road. Okay. Anyway. Well, so we got that. What else do you have coming uh, there's up? There's a ton of news that came out of the Chicago Auto Show last week that relates to trucks as well. All right. We haven't even done five-star hotline in a show oh, or two. Oh, we have so many five-star hotline. We've got get. a ton of emails. And by the way, yeah, 657-205-6105. That's 657-201-6105. Please do give us a call. We love hearing from you, and we want to play you back on the air. But before we get to your stuff, I've been, well, we both, to collectively, we've been trying sure. to get uh, a gentleman named Reno, and I think it's pronounced Heon. I, uh, I've Never, I always just call him Reno. That would be uh, Reno that we were chasing down at SEMA and never found? Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Now, Reno about. is the um, co-founder and CTO of AccuAir. Now, we do a lot of lifted truck talk, and we do a lot of uh, new vehicle talk. You're always reviewing the newest trucks on the road. And, um, and and every once in a while we go like C10 talk or F100 talk or Listen, mo- we or mix it up. Talk. So we do mix it up. But what I'm getting is we don't do a lot of lowered specific talk. Yeah, it depends like what's going on in the industry and what news there is. Like week by week, we don't know what shows are. It just kind of depends what falls in our lap. So I feel like though we, we were want kind of, to go back and do some lower. Yeah, talk. yeah, we're a little de- deficient in that area. So I, when I think of air suspension, there's a couple of companies. I think of Airlift. Uh, for the bags, I think of. Th- there's a few out there that do it, but when it comes to like, how do you control the dang thing, and and what logos do I see on the trucks when they're slammed? Accuair, or, or when we were at SEMA, every lower truck had an Accuair plaque between the wheelbase. You know, it was like everywhere. It was like, oh, this is an Accuair truck. This and, is an and it's not truck. just their marketing that's good and getting you know that little plaque out. It's the fact that the best builders, the guys are that are winning, them. yeah, the Absolutely. guys that are winning the awards. Are running. They have their choice on on systems, on control systems, and they choose AccuAir. So, if you don't mind, uh, indulge me a little bit. Let's uh, dial Reno. All right, I'm good with that. How's it going, guys? Reno Lightning and Holman from Truck Show Podcast. What's, What's up, happening? Man? How you guys doing? We're outstanding. Hey, Reno. So before we can talk to you, we have to play an intro because you're in the parts department. Welcome to the parts department. Screw. Nut, filter, oil, grill, tools, wheels, tires, brakes, lights, gears, belts, and your wife warns you not to, don't you spend our money, and then you want to come back. See, because Reno, you're in the parts department, and we're spending all of our hard-earned cash on your stuff, and our wives are pissed. Because they don't get acting hair like we do. They don't. <laughs> I like it. That that got me uh, excited and got my blood pumping. <laughs> Good one. All right. So Reno is the co-founder and CTO of AccuAir, and you would have heard of this brand because they are they have become the authority in air management. So they started. I guess um, I'll let you explain, Reno, where you fit into the pantheon of air suspension. 
<laughs> All right. We, you know, my brother and I started the company in 2001 and uh, mostly around the idea of, you know, a better leveling system, something to control the air suspension to make it easy to use and make it accurate. And at the time, you know, the, the aftermarket really only had like mechanical switches and gauges to try to set the height of the vehicle. And so we were working on a, a 1972 two-wheel drive Blazer and just, you know, putting a conventional type system on it with those switches and gauges. And we're like, we could do something better than this. So we went and got some, uh, you know, linear height-based sensors off of a Ford Lincoln Navigator and uh, got those attached to the suspension and then started developing a control system, you know, basically an embedded computer control system that would set the height of the vehicle and allow you to have different preset heights and maintain that height. And uh, really, we were just working on it for the Blazer and got it finished, got it working on that that one vehicle. And we're like, man, I think the market, you know, the rest of the market could use something like this. And um, we were pretty young kids. I was going to college and my brother was still in high school. And uh, we decided to found AccuWare out of the out of the garage and uh, kicked it off from there. So really, that was our, our core um, kind of starting point was on the leveling systems for existing air suspensions. Now, so wait, how old were you again? You're in college, he's in high school, and you didn't say the words to yourself, I think the market could use this. <laughs> There's no way you said that, really? We kind of did. I mean, we, we uh, you know, I, I was going to school for mechanical engineering. I was about 21 and uh, thought I was going to go to work for one of the big three in Michigan. You know, I wanted to do something automotive related. Um, I went to Michigan for a project and got to go to Ford and uh, meet some engineers that had the jobs that I thought that I wanted. And yeah, I remember walking in this one guy's office and he just had a stack of doors in his office. And all he had done for the last 10 years was design door handles. And I was like, you know what? I think I need more than this. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> that That is kind of, uh, you know, and then kind of in the in parallel, we're working on this project. and That's where you um, founded you know, AccuDoor. AccuDoor? <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah. <laughs> my parents had a muffler business growing up, and so we were always around small business. And so it wasn't, uh, wasn't an odd thing, you know, from our point of view to start a business. Now, of course, we were extremely naive at the time about how difficult it was going to be to get a product, you know, manufacturable. And then... Uh, actually get to market with something. Actually, you know, we thought if we had an awesome product, people would just call and buy it. Um, you know, the next three or four years of our life was about learning that that's not really the case. Um, you could have the best product in the world, but you have to let everybody know that you have it uh, and do your marketing and, and get to shows and, uh, you know, develop an audience. And I will say at the time, we, you know, it was, a, it was an innovative idea at the time. It was pretty expensive, the system that we were selling right out of the gate. And so uh, a lot of people just didn't know that they needed such a system. Like these days, you know, everybody, when they think of having air suspension on their car, they, they figure they're going to have some sort of control system to manage that. Um, back in those days, it really wasn't like that. It was we were selling a completely new idea. So it wasn't an easy road out of the gate. Take us back to the garage. What did that look like physically to explain the garage setup? Was it a couple of, you know, uh, like three by six fold out tables and a bunch of parts and you're trying to figure out what boxes you're going to make and how you're going to ship them or, or what does that look like? Uh, pretty similar to that. I mean, basically, um, it was my college, um, you know, apartment and that I had a garage, uh, one car garage to be able to fit my blazer in it so we could work on it. We had started the project before I even 
moved to college and then I brought it with me to finish it, you know, in San Luis Obispo. And, uh, so it's in the garage and, you know, dining room table upstairs, we've got computers and we're laying out circuit boards and, you know, building prototype, uh, you know, electrical hardware and, you know, basically teaching ourselves how to code and how to, um, you know, design, uh, mechanical enclosures and connectors. And, um, it was actually a pretty fun time in my life. When I look back at it, there was, uh, a whole lot less worries than there are now. Um, of course, <laughs> that's, that's uh, called pre-employees, is what that is. Yeah, right. That's that's actually a great point. I've you don't have an HR director to contend with. Moment. That's why yeah. uh, anybody who starts a small business thinks it's a good idea at first, and then when it gets to be a big business, they go, "Oh crap, I had no idea." I'm gonna yeah. leave my. I'm gonna shut down. I'm gonna sell my small business and go work for somebody else again. Yeah, I right. see that happen a lot. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, it does happen. I mean, the the responsibilities when you own a business they never turn off right so when you when you have a job you go to your job during the day and for the most part when you leave at night you pretty much switch that off and you get uh, at least a few um solid hours to yourself or with your family where you're not thinking about work and then morning comes around you go back to work well when you own a business especially one like ours it's constant you know we have customers around the world um constantly emailing or you know they're on different time zones so it just kind of never ends and then you know, at that, there's kind of a never ending workload. Uh, and so, you know, I usually go home, try to spend a little time with the family, and then, yeah, I'm back on email, back on a project, plugging in for a couple more hours before my eyes won't stay open, and then to bed, and then uh, back at it again in the morning. So it's, it's not the life for everybody. And I'm kind of a, a entrepreneur at heart. Once, once you get it in your blood, you kind of never stop. But, uh, I've mentored some younger entrepreneurs from Cal Poly here locally, and I am not real easy on them about, uh, I don't candy coat anything about being an entrepreneur. Like you have to be pretty much willing to, um, you know, eat macaroni and cheese if necessary for 10 years to get your company off the ground. And I think a lot of people don't realize how hard it, how hard it's going to be. You know, we hear stories of, uh, some guy creates an app company and sells it to Google for millions of dollars and, um, you know, think that that's how it's going to be. The reality is it's, uh, th- those are far and few between for every one of those guys that hits a home run, there's tens of thousands that fail. And so, um, we've talked about that on the show, right? Uh, publishers clearinghouse is not coming to give you your check. Yeah. You're probably not <laughs> going to have a, uh, a number one hit on any music station and uh, mm-hmm. you probably aren't going to make it to the NFL, and that's just the realities of life. And you know? we're not tall enough for the NBA. <laughs> yeah, so yeah that's exactly. Out. So you know, everybody can have their dreams, but <laughs> but you also have to have a little bit of realism in there. And I think you know, to me, being in the automotive community and in the in the industry for over twenty years, there's a couple of things that are always fascinating to me. One is when I go to SEMA, and I see a brand that has proliferated throughout the show. What I mean that mm-hmm. by that is there are products in other people's booths in show spaces. Uh, outside, and that seemed to be you guys. Uh, the last few years I've gone, it seems like every slam truck has an Accuair, you know, tag on it. Uh, Lightning and I were walking around, and it was like we tried to find you at the show, and you were so busy we weren't able to hook up. And it was just like everywhere we went is like bam Accuair, bam Accuair, bam Accuair. No, I don't think Reno. You don't know this, but we like had a straight up uh, APB out on you. Yeah, we were, we're like, looking for you. <laughs> we were like, if you see Reno, but it's just like, nah, you're not touching him during SEMA. It's all good, though. Yeah, we had to go through your people. Well, first, but... of all, <laughs> first of all, I, uh, I and we appreciate that acknowledgement and uh, that you noticed all those cars with AccuAir on them. And, um, you know, there's a couple of things there. You've got 
customers, we have a really strong customer base and a really passionate following. So, you know, people spend, that spend their hard-earned dollars on our product, they're proud to have it on their car. And so it's something they want to show off and something that they, you know, are, are telling their buddies about. And so um, we we appreciate that because then it's kind of a snowball effect. More people see, oh, hey, this, what's this air suspension thing? What's this AccuWare thing? Maybe I should have it on my car. And, and you, that's how it starts. You know, you have to ask the question, like, why do you even need such a product? And then, uh, and then it can kind of go from there. So SEMA is our, you know, big focus every year to get, you know, a uh, lot of marketing effort we put into SEMA. We build our own booth. We, um, we just put tons of, tons of energy into that show. And it's kind of the one show that we really focus on like that because it's, let's be honest, it's probably the biggest show in the world and really it brings an audience and, and um, people from all over the world that we get a chance to talk to and speak to about our products that we wouldn't have that chance any other time at any other show, any, you know, any time in the world. So it's kind of this key moment. And then believe me every year, it's such an investment that every year we try to find a way to talk ourselves out of it. Like, well, what if we just take this year off? Wouldn't that be awesome? And, uh, but we never do because it, it always pays off for us. There's, um, you know, whether it's plugging in with existing customers and getting to have conversations about what's coming in the year, uh, you know, in the, in the following year, or whether it's, you know, reaching out, finding new customers that are walking through the booth, um, that have big potential. There's always a lot of, a lot of great conversation at SEMA. It's about relationships. I, it, for me, Holman and I were walking around going, you could have been on 150 other trucks and cars, but you chose the right ones to be on. You know, you're friends with like Brian at Rotaform and a lot of these key players in the lowered car scene, the lower truck scene. So you're on the, the highest profile builds. Whatever the Riddler is of the of the you know mini truck or the, the lower truck world, right. you're there. You're on those builds, and and the brand association. And something else I wanted to say is, no one needs your product, and I think that's why it matters most. It's the opposite of toilet paper. We don't really care right. what we ri- wipe our butts with. And uh, throw- I totally care because I have had two ply versus four, and I will tell you, oh, yeah, four, uh, Charmin four ply is nice. Oh, yeah, all right, all right, yeah. take that back. Almost so- doesn't have an attraction though, if you know what I mean. It's too smooth. It's Not too here. smooth. Yeah, you need a little bit of uh, abrasion. Yeah, absolutely. A, a little bit of abrasion, <laughs> right? I got you. So sorry about the toilet paper talk there, Reno. What we're it's all good. so no one really needs it. And what happens is is that things that we don't need that we want. I don't need air suspension. It's something that I really want. And I and I mm-hmm. and I study it online. I figure out how to build it. I talk to my friends. And by the time that I get your system, I'm so invested in that product much more than anything else that I bought on that car, maybe even more than the car itself, because I know so much about it. And now I just don't want the AccuAir control system. I want a T-shirt. I want a hoodie because I'm now all about AccuAir. Is that what you find? Yeah. And what's interesting, I mean, so you say you don't need it, and, and but you want it. We, we learned something really interesting because we grew the most throughout the recession. So from, you know, about 2007 to 2011, you know, we were growing about 50% per year throughout Holy that time. Crap. Which oh, man. Blew, basically blew our minds because, like, why, why, in a time when people don't have extra money, um, how, you know, how is there still a market for a product that's, that's really, can I guess? It's a want, like, it's want not to have. Yeah, take a guess. Because guys weren't able to buy new cars, so it was time to fix up the car they had. That's a big part of it, and and I think the other part of it is that guys that are passionate about cars, they 
they'll you know they'll figure out a way. They'll exactly. There's they a ton will, of they stuff. They'll eat a cheaper dinner. They'll find yes. a cheaper house to live in. But they're gonna work on their. They'll car. head back to the shed and, so, and they'll figure yeah. out what parts I don't need anymore that I've been hoarding back here and go visit Craigslist. Sure, and I, I'm I'm really not different from that guy because when I was building my blazer, I'm going through college and on a major budget, and you know somehow I managed to sink about. $35,000 into that thing, which at the time <laughs> wow. was just stupid. Um, but, you know, it, when I look back, it was like I was willing to sacrifice just about anything because that was my passion. It was That's um, so funny. my I hobby, and, you know, it's it's a weird thing. I have an F-100 just like that. <laughs> yes. I don't think, do, you think women, do you think women are like that about anything? I mean, yes. no. Yes. maybe shoes, shoes and purses, but, like, I, I don't – you can't spend that kind of money on shoes and purses. Uh, yes, you can. <laughs> no, yes, you can. My, my, <laughs> wife ha- uh, allowed, my wife has a very good job, and so part of – one of her things is she'll get herself a really nice handbag or a really nice pair of shoes once a year. That's, like, her, <laughs> her thing. But when I found out, like, what a really nice handbag or a really nice pair of shoes costs – Seriously, you, there are some people out there that could get into some serious shoe trouble. Five to ten grand. Yeah. Well, I mean, like yeah. a pair of Lubies is, you know, a, a thousand, twelve hundred, something like that for, you know, a nice pair. I'm talking about a purse. But, oh, yeah. yeah but, yeah. I mean, you can definitely spend that kind of money on that. So I think the difference, though, with women is that they, they, they lust after it, they buy it, then they move on. With guys, we buy something and then we tweak it. We modify it. We tweak it. We modify it until it can't be modified anymore. And then we eventually... Trade we don't we, we don't we don't want to trade out because we get really attached to it. Yeah, that's true. And I've always respected guys who could just have that sell, same. Their, sell their car oh. and then and move, and move I'm on. I'm the opposite. I'm I, the guy. I, I like the guy who kept the, his very first car that he got in high school, and it's under a cover in the garage, and he still drives it every once in a while or something like that. Because I could never do that. I'm like, all right, time for something, a new challenge, a new project, whatever. Reno, do you still have the Blazer? So here, I do, and here's the funny part. So we start the company. Now, the Blazer never, basically it was, you know, uh, ground-up chassis, full cage, like big, big motor, small-box Chevy, but high horsepower, um, fuel-injected. Um, some stuff at the time that, I mean, these are all things these days that's like, yeah, everyone has it. Um, but at the time, it was a little bit cutting-edge, and some of the some of the style and some of the stuff we were doing on it was pretty cutting-edge. This is and what so, year, Reno? Um, 72 blazer so fully removable top um no, I mean, really what what truck. year what year oh, were you oh. building it my brother and i started building it in about 1999 and uh so yeah right around that era so i mean it was it was a time when 18 inch wheels and a 3 inch c notch was low you know we we're wow. not talking about 22 inch wheels with rockers on the ground yet so obviously styles have changed since then but anyways the story on the truck we were getting it all wired. It was in primer, and we were going to wire it and get the electronic fuel injection injected motor started, um, chassis dyno it, kind of drive it a little bit, get the bugs out, then pull it back apart to do all the paint and everything like that. So we're while we're wiring it, we start working on the air suspension project, start the company, and haven't had an extra dollar or an extra you know, second of time since then. And so it's never gotten touched. Oh. Um, of course, it's a huge sentimental piece to me and to the company now. And so it, it sits in the same exact state that it did in 1999. And it's kind of time like capsule. waiting. Yeah. It's waiting for a day to um, basically get, you know, of course I got to basically start over on the project. Cause like I said, so much has changed since then. And you'll get there. Um, yeah. But so someday it will. And it's a cool piece though. Most of the guys that work here, um, you know, they they relate to it, and it, they can just see that it's it's a cool part of our history. So, 
Reno, what is the first truck project that AccuAir was a part of when you were coming up that really, whether it's a magazine truck or it hit the show circuit, what was it? Or was there a singular truck that really put you on the map? There was. So uh, looking back, there was a guy named Scott Lawrence um, from the Central Valley here in California, and that was a uh, truck that him and Lee Milnich built, a really good painter in the valley there, and um, all orange uh, 1970 GMC. And it had all the original style chrome uh, strip on it and everything. It was kind of a uh, metallic orange, really nicely built truck. Um, it had 20-inch wheels and custom chassis that, that laid the thing on the ground. And um, in 2009, we brought that truck to SEMA, and that was our first year at SEMA. And so um, I will tell you that that thing shook the ground and changed changed. Um, Really, uh, I think it's it started a lot of the demand that we've seen in the C10 market since then, just because it was it was just a new style. It was really fresh at the time, and um, and it's funny. I, I met that guy. I ran into him. He had the truck in uh, the Pismo Beach Car Show, and I was just walking through there one day and saw the truck. And I'm of course oogling over the truck, and uh, so I start talking with him. And he's just got you know the old style Parker valves, big old brass valves that look like a water like something for your sprinkler system <laughs> right and a switch box sitting on the seat and i'm like man we got to get you an accuator system and it's like well what's that and so he told him and um because he's only a couple hours away he ended up dropping the truck off and we did all the install on it and then which we don't typically do uh listeners don't call us because we don't do install <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you said yeah. that because they will yeah, they will call yeah. you and they'll go hey uh, i know reno personally yeah right. if i had the time for it I, I mean i actually enjoy it i like getting dirty but uh we just it's not part of the business right now so yeah um anyway so we got that truck finished and then SEMA was coming about you know four or five months down the road and uh we're like man this is this would really be the right truck to have in the booth. And um, trucks are nice anyways because it's nice to be able to demonstrate the functionality of the E-Level system. One of the key elements of the E-Level system is that while it's at a given height, so let's say you're at your, your driving height or your ride height, um, the system is actually monitoring that height. So when you add passengers to the vehicle or change the load on the vehicle, it will actually automatically see that and correct for it. And so it's something that um, is a really key element because with with air suspension, you, you always need to be monitoring and leveling. So there's a, you know, a couple of reasons. When you start the vehicle, it'll come up to ride height. Usually you're on a non-level surface. You know, just even a parking lot isn't very level. So then when you get out on the road, it needs to be monitoring and it needs to make that little trim correction so that the vehicle is within alignment specs and handles and fields and rides correct. In order to demonstrate that function, on the back, you can just stand on the bumper of a pickup truck and, or sit in the, you know, sit on the tailgate or whatever, and uh, you'll see the system correct for your load. And then the customer's like, oh, I get it. That makes total sense, and, and I see why it's so valuable. So, so Reno, um, that was another reason. Go, going back to uh, E-Level e here, so, like, for instance, the uh, the 2019 Ram uh, Heavy Duties and 1500 mm -hmm. and the older 1500s, that uh, they have... Uh, ride leveling for just they have the uh, half tons have the four corner suspension, but like on the heavy duties, just in the rear where it'll level yep. for load. Do you guys have a setup where you could add to like a stock ride truck for somebody who just wants to keep the truck level for load and trailers, or is it mostly for Thanks. performance and lowering at all four corners? So I can tell you something like that is 
heavily on our minds and uh, something that will be in the near future. Awesome. Because because the air management side of the system, the tanks, compressors, valves, and the leveling system, that's really what we've focused on for all these years. The air springs and brackets and dampers for your specific vehicle, that's something that we've always left to some of the other suppliers in the market. Um, we're at a stage where in order to kind of grow the potential for air suspension to where we want, we have to be supplying more of those components. Um, one, one of the reasons, one of the ways I explain it is that, um, you know, we can sell the best air management system in the world, but if that is connected to a set of springs that fail or a set of, uh, you know, a design on a bracket or strut that just doesn't work, somebody's still going to have a bad air su- suspension experience in the end. Um, and so we need to take responsibility and be supplying that entire product to really give the best, to give the AccuAir experience overall. And so um, it's a huge thing on our list, but it's not a small undertaking, uh, especially the way that we do things. So, you know, our we, we have this um, saying, it's, you know, zero compromise. Uh, we say it kind of tongue in cheek, but the idea is there's, there's basically, we're, we're trying to achieve perfection in everything that we design and build and ship out the door. And so, uh, which, which we do, but, you know, we, there's basically, in order to bring every product up to that level, it's such a huge amount of investment for engineering, testing, validation, um, to get it to that stage that it's just not an easy undertaking. So sometimes, you know, when we're bringing out new products, like um, two years ago, we, we launched the Endo CVT, the compressor valve tank. So everything's in one unit. It's a, it's a high-tech uh, you know, there's a whole lot of technology involved to make it possible. The benefits are it's simple to install. It's one thing versus a bunch. Um, the compressor is extremely quiet, so you, you don't have this annoying kind of nagging compressor sound in the vehicle. Um, it's on an isolation system inside, so there's no vibration that goes into the vehicle. I mean, it's just cool. It's a slick um, setup. I so, remember when you guys came out with that, the press releases, it was a big deal in, you know, like Truckin' and some of our other um, magazines and brands that that – interface with air suspension because it was so novel that you could have that one unit uh, from a packaging standpoint, from a quietness standpoint, and you know you solve a lot of issues by having that. And nobody had really attacked the problem like that before. It always been you need a lot of real estate and a lot of pieces and parts and valves and lines and tank and and route all this stuff. Now all of a sudden you have this one thing that bolts into your truck and you have room. Maybe if you have a a you know regular cab short box or something that doesn't have a lot of uh, real estate, now you have a compact system that that easily fits in there. And, and, and Reno, exactly. were you stunned that nobody had done this before or was it a race? I know that there is another – one of your competitors has something similar, but you've taken the lion's share of the market. So, I mean, around the same time, another company came out with like a modular-style style air tank where the end caps can come off. But, no, there's still to this day nobody's got a, a compressor-integrated tank or a valve-integrated tank. A couple of reasons. We have patents on it. But then the, the big one is that it's not easy. And so the that was kind of what I was getting to on the – zero compromise idea when we tackle something um number one we're not going to ship it out the door until it's perfect um number two we're, we're tackling big things that have never been done before and so they're they typically take a lot longer than we expect and the, you know it takes longer than the market would like but then in the end they're happy with the product and so um the cbt was a great example of that because it wasn't just a matter of stuffing a compressor inside of a tank there was a whole lot going on there and when when you ask that question um, was I surprised that n- that nobody else has done it? Um, so this this has come up consistently in our history because when you when you go to innovate something, 
um, you know, a lot of times you, you're looking at what has existed and you're deciding, okay, you know, how, how's a better way to do it? What, you know, what's a better way to ta- uh, approach this or tackle it? And sometimes when like a simple idea, like putting compressor inside of a tank, it's like, well, why has nobody done that? So then, then you actually question yourself more on the innovation, <laughs> right? Because you're, it seems like somebody should have done it, and, and maybe they did. Me, that was and like the, it boned out at some point. And had a problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, now in retrospect, I can see why. If anybody had tried it in the past, they would have had a lot of problems. There's there's some major hurdles, and you know, basically, um, I consider engineering to be like just daily problem solving. You're basically just um, you know constantly finding a new problem and solving it, and uh, it's the fun of engineering because it's never a dull moment. Um, but that is the key to innovating something is is getting through those hurdles. And so, yeah, the the common response to everybody walking up at SEMA and seeing it for the first time was, "Damn, why didn't I think of that?" Because <laughs> it's it's pretty simple, totally. you know, from a from a design standpoint or from a thought process standpoint. Um, yeah, why didn't we all think of that? But, you know what this, um, Reno, it, lo- it sounds to me like a, an Apple product because Steve Jobs was all about elegance and simple UI. And the, the yep. easier it is. And so you hold it in your hand and it's enjoyable to hold. It's enjoyable to use. And you go, it's so simple. It must have been easy to, to make. But the simplest, the most fun products, the simplest uh, on the on the outside are the hardest to make on the inside. Right. Preaching to the choir because really the E-level system is, is exactly that. Um, and, and yes, it does happen to have some Apple design cues because we, we, uh, acknowledge and appreciate what those guys have done in a lot of different areas. And so, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's simple from the outside. It's easy to interact with. Um, and it, it takes care of a problem. You can rely on it. Um, but inside to make all that possible and make, you know, make an e-level system work perfectly on every single vehicle that has all sorts of different parameters, different air spring sizes, different ride heights, different dampers. Um, you know, the, there's basically about 30,000 lines of code that we developed and algorithms that make all that happen on the inside. So that's a great example of highly complex inside to make it really simple to the end user. And ultimately, the CVT is a similar deal because tons of technology inside to make it much simpler to install um, one of the key elements for us was eliminating uh, potential user error. So the more things somebody needs to mount and the more things somebody needs to wire properly, um, the more problems that they can have. And so then, you know, we end up on the tech support line with them helping them out, which we're, we're good at and we're committed to. But um, anything we can do to reduce that possibility, always good for us and for the end user. How long did this process take from the from the day that you and your brother decided the company we're going to make this to actually going to market and debuting it at SEMA? What was that length of time? So I'll, I'll explain just a little bit more in depth because it wasn't quite that simple. We actually came up with the idea of a modular air tank first because conventional air tanks that are formed and welded together we were just having too many fallout issues with leaks and so you get a little bit of porosity and weld or something and customer gets the tank and now he's got a little leak and you got to swap the whole thing out just big pain in the butt so we had this idea of an extruded core and you know bolt-on end caps everything is machined to high tolerance fitment and then you use o-rings to seal it as a way of having a hundred percent uh reliable air tank that's how it started then we got that vetted out. That took about 
two years, actually, because there's some major um, physical elements there. And one of the big things was we got it DOT approved for 200 PSI, which means wow. you actually, ha- yeah, you have to go to five times that that maximum That's pressure, huge. so 1,000 PSI, um, and then not have any leaks for 10 minutes. And after you depressurize, none of the dimensions can change more than 1%, which that was one of the biggest tricks and, and difficulties to the one percent I mean, talk design. about i mean that that just yeah. shows like talking about the engineering acumen at accuair mm-hmm. right the fact mm-hmm. that you have a engineering background and that you truly are chasing you know the the high level of of engineering excellence to take your product and have it third party validated for a basically an approval from a government agency only people who have gone through that process realize how rigorous it is, and that's not. This is worse than getting a patio in your backyard. You know, going to the city and going, <laughs> yeah. Uh, "Yeah, I need a just a no. variance so I can get a patio cover." M- very different. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> well, and and something I guess it says a lot about our outlook, but we don't. We didn't have to get that DOT approval, but exactly we wanted to because we're we're bringing a new type of product to market. It's, um, you know, let's face it, it it's a if done incorrectly, if if engineered improperly, or if your quality control is not spot on, um, you could actually have a, a you know critical failure. Well, a critical ca- failure in the case of a pressure vessel, it's not good news. Especially so, with a um, uh, a a screw on cap on one end. If it fails there, you sure. just turn it into a missile rather than you know <laughs> having a weld break and it and it just blow out the side or something. Now you're launching things from the uh, from the truck. Yeah. Now I would have well, liked to have heard. been there when 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 he when Reno was testing it and like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you do that so, uh, in like water or something like that? So we that you do. Can, okay. Yeah that's, yeah, that's a great question. We use water because um, we actually use water inside. We pressurize yeah. water so that water doesn't compress when you're exactly, when you're yeah. pressurizing it. So then when you break, you don't have this big release of energy. Um, so that's exactly how we tested it. We got it all the way to 1,230 psi is uh, is our max pressure. But so I mean, that's a crazy amount of pressure. It's you know. What's a by, by comparison? What's a scuba tank? I don't scuba dive. Um, so what's a scuba 14, tank? I don't know. What is scuba is like fourteen hundred, or is it higher than that? Eighteen hundred, something like that. Okay. Um, quite. You know. Once again, uh, Lightning is asking questions for <laughs> things he has no reference for. <laughs> I'm just curious. I know that they're under high well, pressure. Okay. How about this? How about an over the road semi truck air tank for air brakes and stuff? There you go. How about 100, that? Hundred and ten psi. 110. That's it. 130, 135 is kind of uh, probably the most you see for a max operate pressure rating wow. on a DOT approved tank. Now, keep in mind, those are always steel tanks sure. um, that are welded together. And so steel is not as malleable as aluminum. So getting that 1% change in dimension after your five times pressure is not as big of a deal with steel. Problem we don't like steel for is it corrodes, and so you know aluminum is corrosion resistant. You're always going to have some amount of moisture in your air suspension system, and so keeping um, keeping that tank free of corrosion is key, so that you don't get corrosion throughout your entire system. Uh, so that was a key element. The other, so <laughs> one of the horror stories I remember hearing a long time ago. Somebody had bought a system not from us, but um, from a competitor, and. They, you know, back in the day, people were running like nitrogen bottles instead of compressors, or in addition to their compressors, right? So, big nitrogen bottle comes at 1,800 psi, and then you are supposed to regulate it down to say 150 psi, and then you run that regulated pressure to your air reservoir, and then your air reservoir runs to your valves, and then you fill your airbags up. Well, somebody connected their 1800 psi nitrogen reservoir directly to their air tank without Ooh. a regulator in between so now you're putting your 
150 PSI rated air tank, 135 PSI rated air tank, up to 1,800 PSI. (laughs) Yeah, the story that I heard was that, that, you know, the guy cranked it on and ran the, it worked, you know, and he gets in the car and goes to the gas station, held together, he's at the gas station and it just gives way and basically blows the whole trunk out of the car and, you know, he wasn't injured, fortunately, but... um, so we actually designed, that was our worst case design scenario, is if somebody connected this thing to 1800 PSI, and I shouldn't be telling anybody this, but if they did, we actually have a blow-off valve. So at 400 PSI, this valve will open, and it's got a high enough flow rate to exhaust an in-size nitrogen bottle fast enough to keep the peak pressure below our burst pressure. Wow. So um, Sounds we, like a JDM know, uh, Japanese it, car from the day. <laughs> <laughs> right? you, yeah, right. You, you would call it designing for stupidity, but <laughs> we have to do that. <laughs> so we designed the tank. Then we realized, hey, we, the, the caps come off. This this allows this whole whole bunch of opportunities to integrate things inside that we never had before. So the first obvious one was putting the valves, which had previously been a separate manifold unit, like the VU4 or something, um, internal to each of the valve end caps or each of the end caps of the tank. And so you don't see anything from the outside. It's built in. just makes total sense. So we did that. And then we had been working with Wabco for a number of years, testing some different compressors. And Wabco is a big name in the automotive OE space. They supply all the compressors that are on new vehicles that come with air suspension. So, so tier one supplier, that, right? Yep. Their, their biggest business is in trucks, heavy-duty trucks and brakes and um, systems on trucks. But so they they have this automotive division, which is really 12-volt compressors for vehicles with air suspension. So the new Tesla, the new you know Porsche Panamera, the new Audi, all these vehicles are equipped with this compressor. Well, so we had tested their previous generation of compressor, and it was – it was good, but it wasn't good enough. It wasn't fast enough. It was going to be too expensive. And uh, so we tested this newest generation, and it was like two times faster than any aftermarket pump, um, especially in the pressure ranges where we worked the system from like 160 to 200 psi. And it was quieter, and we're like, and it still only pulls you know 30 amps of current, whereas like that's impressive. Two actually, 60 amps. We're like, man, this thing's actually got some potential but man it looks oe you know what i mean it just our market you want oe performance but aftermarket looks right because the the beauty of oe is the having you know the durability testing that the oes are paying for so you know that the product they're using is going to meet those standards but you also have to pretty it up for what you're doing well, and the other thing is they're they're trying to save every penny, so they're not going to put anything on there to make it look good if it costs an extra penny. So sure. um, it looks is never important in the OE space, whereas for our, our business it is. And so we spent some time trying to, like, um, pretty it up, kind of put a dress on it, and that was, like, a waste of time. just didn't feel right, like, <laughs> putting effort and money into something just to, you know, make it look better on the outside. So. Um, we're, we're sitting there now, keep in mind, we're, we're basically developing the extrusion is finished and this modular tank idea is finished. And, um, one of my brilliant engineers goes, what, what if we just stick it inside the tank? That would hide it. And we take this thing and drop it into the tank. And it was like, it was made for it. Like the amount of space that this compressor Because think about it. We can't retool the compressor. We've already tooled the extrusion. So, you know, if it didn't fit, there wouldn't be a CVT today. I can tell you that because we wouldn't have been able to afford to, like, redesign everything. We would have never pushed for it. But the thing fit, and we're just like, holy cow. Do you remember that moment when your engineer mm-hmm. slid it in and he's like, Reno, come here? <laughs> yeah. 
when he first said it, I was like, man, you might be crazy. And I was like, <laughs> no, you might be smart. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm curious. Cool idea and, what's it What's it like for the compressor itself to live in, A, a pressurized environment, right? Because right. The, 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 comp- the compressor itself is going to shed off heat, and so you have a thermal management piece of it. And then, obviously, yep. the air it's compressing is going to heat up, at least during the compression process. So how's it going to throw off the... Uh, <laughs> throw, What's it going to throw off? Like, <laughs> right, right, the pressure. Right? I like it. But I'm, I'm curious. Let's get, all, let's get all scientific for a minute. Yeah, I, I'm so curious you, you how hit, you, you hit on problems. all the key points there. Okay. They, um, the pressure is, let's talk about the pressure first. So, yeah, the the compressor was never designed to be in 200 PSI of pressure. So um, one of the things we found real quickly is that you're going to get a little bit of seepage through the compressor when it's not running. And so backwards. Um, exactly. Okay. And not so much and and not really from where you would expect it, not from like the output of of the compressor, but from all of the rest of the seals where the motor is and everywhere else. You hmm. get a little bit of seepage. Well so we have an inlet line going from the end cap to the compressor. So the inlet line would basically have a little bit of air flowing out of it, which would just drain your tank overnight. So we developed an isolation valve which closes that line at the end cap and seals that in. So when it does leak um, over the course of 12 hours or whatever, all you're doing is losing a tiny amount of volume to that line. And then when you start the compressor, you open that valve and now you're back open to atmosphere. Interesting. Okay. So that was kind of one of the little tricks to getting around that. And that would be a case of common scenario of trying to be in 200 PSI. The other one is temperature. So you're always um, building friction and temperature in the compressor head itself. You see a lot of the compressors have like a big fin system on them to cool them. Um, This compressor definitely builds heat. Well, it turns out that our extrusion is extremely good at dissipating heat because it's made out of aluminum, and it becomes a big heat sink for the compressor itself. So basically, as the compressor gets hot, it's transmitting its its heat to the extrusion. The whole body of the tank gets warm, but then you have a lot more surface area on that big body of tank to dissipate to air. But is there rubber between the compressor and the tank? How's it transferring, or is it or is it hard mounted? So, so the compressor itself is isolated. So there's two mounting systems. There's a primary mounting system of metal, then there's a secondary mounting system of rubber, and then there's like bump stops so that essentially if that thing shakes around too much, it doesn't ram into the extrusion itself. So there's this whole system. So it's sitting there hovering and isolated. So you have convection cooling going from the compressor head to the body. Um, But also keep in mind you have a pretty good amount of uh, air volume in there that you're also changing the temperature on. Um, And that airs all that air um, volume is is actually uh, conducting its temperature to the body of the extrusion itself. And so, um, and it's pretty wild. We've done, so we have a, a built-in head temperature sensor and that's a, kill, that's a key element to making all this work. It's also a key element to really making any compressor um, live for 800 hours. And that's what this compressor is rated to. Wow. Think about that 800 hours of running time. It's a lot. And so in order to get that, you can't overheat the compressor at any point because all the seals inside will degrade. And this is actually what most guys that have a, a cheap compressor do every day, they run it too hard, get it too hot, and then it starts to leak, then it doesn't pump as fast, then it kind of starts like a snowball effect where it's basically killing itself. Um, keeping that temperature below the maximum limit is absolutely critical. So we actually have a sensor on the head of the compressor, and we have part of this whole thing, there's an integrated ECU that's checking all sorts of things and turning the compressor on when it needs to and whatnot. Um, but it's monitoring that head temperature. And so that's how we keep from 
causing any damage. But so it's also it works like a closed loop duty cycle essentially because if you're in a colder climate, you can run the compressor longer and harder. If you're in a hot, hotter climate, it's going to turn it off sooner and safer. Anyways, we've done a lot of testing around open air uh, maximum duty cycle, like steady state duty cycle and all the run times versus inside of the tank. And we actually we get a better run time inside of the tank. It's really, I know it sounds surprising. No but, kidding, yeah. Um, because typically your tank is starting extremely cold. You think about it, your air suspension use scenario is typically – you know, you charge the system up and then park the car, sits overnight, and it gets down to, you know, steady state room temperature or whatever it is outdoors, whatever your ambient temperature is. Then you start things up and the compressor starts building heat. What's well, right up against this really cold extrusion and dissipating all that heat? Now, obviously, if you just sit there and run it and run it and run it, the whole thing is going to come up to a steady state high temperature of the compressor. But we've found that that's just that's like more than anybody will ever do with air suspension. <laughs> like if they're doing more than that with air suspension, they need to rethink about their pastime. They you also need I mean? an engineering need background. Hobby. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I could, you know, if you're at a show and you're running up and down a couple of times, all that's good. It's, you know, if you're, you have to be back to back to back for like an hour to really get it to that steady state at high temperature. And so we just find nobody really does that. Not a realistic use case. And so you could always cover your yeah, so uh, tank in ice though, right? Sure. <laughs> like, I mean, if you, it's Good. no different than an intercooler or something like that. If you, I guess, if you wanted to run it more, you would just figure out a way to cool it. To cool it, right? You pack some sort so of ice around that. it. We're doing that here as as I speak on the phone, actually, because we're doing extended run testing. Even though the product's been out, we're doing, you know, additional further validation and durability testing. And so, one of the tests we're running is is getting to that 800 hours, which 800 hours of on time. Uh, That's 33.33 days, by the way, of straight running. So you figure if you're going to use it a couple times a day for 30 seconds to two or three minutes, right? That's a lot of runtime. Oh, and you know what sucks is that halfway through this, the janitor comes in on like a Sunday afternoon. Shuts off the power. (laughs) Kills it. Kills it like 29 days in. (laughs) So we've had that, yeah. Um, But so you, you basically hit it on the head. It's 33 days. Well, the reality is at full steady state, in, in room temperature of, say, 70 degrees Fahrenheit, we can only be on for about 40% of the time to keep the compressor at, at its maximum temperature. So it doesn't, or it doesn't have a, um, a 100% duty cycle then. It needs to shut Correct. down and cool yeah. off at some point. Correct, okay. which really all compressors do. Like even, uh, yeah, all compressors have a maximum on time essentially. And then, and then duty cycle is calculated off of that. But so that takes your 33 days of, let's say we're trying to do a durability test to get to 800 hours. That's 33 days. Now you cut that by 40%. We're, we're out at, you know, three months. And so, um, one of the things that we did to accelerate it, we actually submerge the whole CVT, everything tank. Oh, cause it's wires, sealed. Cause everything it's sealed. It's all weather tight. And really, cause it needs to survive under a vehicle. Um, it has to be, you know, very corrosion resistant, weather tight. So, it's in a tank, and we're flowing water past it and cooling the whole thing down. It allows us to get our duty cycle up by about 20%, and then we can we basically cut you know three or four weeks off of our test. How many um, tanks are mounted under cars and under trucks versus in in trunks? I don't know officially, but I mean I would say it's probably half and half based okay. on what I see. Yeah. Um, now I will say, <clears throat> you know, our current market is is pretty focused on like aftermarket performance type air suspension for hot rods and trucks and late model cars. 
Um, but it's really, it's an enthusiast market, um, you know, kind of a tuner based performance market. The, this product has a ton of viability for the OE car market. It also uses air suspension because nobody wants to hear a compressor even in a new car. Now, if you spin that a little bit further, let's think about all the new cars that are going to be electric. They have no combustion engine to be hiding any noises. So yep. now they NBH want NVH is an issue. They want it even quieter. And NVH is huge. And so they don't want to hear anything. And especially when the vehicle is steady state, when it's stationary, there's no uh, road noise coming in to mask Do you any remember sound, and they don't want to hear anything. When the first hybrids came out, like let's uh, use like a Ford Escape. Uh, it was one of the early hybrids in like 02 or 03, right? Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of these gas internal combustion vehicles that had been paired with either a hybrid system or super early electrical system. But because the engineers never designed them for like quiet running, the structures were never really stiff enough to pres- to take out all the squeaks and rattles. So because they would always mm-hmm. be covered by the internal combustion engine and that noise. And so all of a sudden when they electrified these platforms, there were all every squeak and rattle you never heard in the gas vehicle was <laughs> right. apparent in, in electric mode in the hybrids. And it was a big deal. Yeah. So part of the reason car structures are so so incredibly robust today and truck structures isn't just for crash and isn't just for um, the, the strength of the chassis. It actually has to do for when it, it, uh, vehicles are electrified or, or in electrification mode that you don't hear those squeaks and rattles. Because even though a car may be screwed together and welded together perfectly and it's very strong, there's a thing called perceived quality and, and people will buy their car and they'll say, I heard this buzz or the squeak or this rattle and they have this perceived you know, idea that it's not quality anymore. I mean, Mercedes did that really early on with, you know, I don't know what it's called, it's Dynamat, basically, we all know today, but sure. they were doing the headliners and, and double-pane windows yep. and uh, everywhere they could put it, and you got, I remember being a kid sitting in my, my friend's butt-ugly 300E, God, I don't know, D, it was D, 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 but yeah, okay. it had to be a D, non-turbo diesel. It yeah. was just horrible, <laughs> but the inside that was solid, the doors were like, you took I remember two hands to close them, because uh, it was so heavy. Mid-80s to early 90s, Mercedes Mercedes, the way the doors would close, it sounded like a bank vault. That's it. They were awesome. They're heavy, and it was like... And that's the perceived yeah. quality you're right. talking about. You know, when you're talking, you don't have to raise your voice inside and all have that. you shut a Mercedes door today, especially on like a, the, some of the A-class and the lower ones? Tin cans. It's not even impressive yeah. at all. There's, there Aren't are... they just called like boxes? Yes. Is that not a thing? Yeah. No, that's, that's, <laughs> that's definitely a thing. If a car sounds like a tin can, that's what I thought it was called. Yeah. yeah. But that's Shit totally box. true. I mean, basically, that, that extra effort... And that doesn't come without a cost, right? Like all of that extra structure and um, design that goes into making cars quieter weight, and more R and D materials, plush, weight, all those sure. And and really, I mean, these days talking about the future of cars and autonomous driving and all these crazy things, there's the the reality is that people are going to want to be more isolated from the road, so they're going to want to experience less NVH. They're going to want their suspension system to be more adaptive and work better because they're going to be on their iPad, or they're going to be yeah, trying to relax. Yeah, and, well, yeah, right. It's and that's just, where air suspension comes in too, because there, there's going to be a kneel or aero mode in a lot of these vehicles. Yeah. In order for aerodynamics, where they're going to hunker down as close to the road as possible when they're going down yep. the road, and even in autonomous mode, because with you know obviously electric drivetrain, you don't have the same range as you do with a internal combustion engine. So now you're worried about mm-hmm. range. Well, you're going to solve some of those issues with efficiency and aero, and air suspension is a big part of that going forward. You're totally right, and then. You know, right alongside of that, you have um, an issue where every autonomous vehicle, all of the sensors that they're using to sense the location of things around them are very sensitive to vehicle 
attitude. So the angle of the vehicle needs to be within spec very accurately. So if you go and put a bunch of people in the back of your car and it sags down, now those sensors aren't pointed correctly. So um, an active automatic leveling system is is key there. And we're seeing, I mean, we're seeing air suspension in the OE space. Um, the demand just continue to grow and grow. And you brought it up earlier, but like the Dodge platforms, the pickup trucks that are now coming with air suspension, uh, you know, they're getting best in class ride quality, best load carrying capability, towing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And when you hook like, up your trailer, if you do it wrong, you know, with too much tongue yeah. weight, the truck can compensate for that. So now you're actually, it becomes mm-hmm. a safety system of sorts. Um, so well, we're being honest, like a leaf spring that comes on, still comes on some trucks sure. is something that's been on horse and buggies for hundred years or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's kind of embarrassing. Um, you know, so the progression to really a much more capable functional suspension is, uh, it's obvious and it just so happened, you know, for us, it's just so happening that our technology is, is really key for, um, for air suspension. And, it, you know, so I kind of, I, I back up to like, you can have an idea and, uh, believe me, when we were working on the blazer and thinking of a company called AccuAir, we really didn't see the future of air suspension and didn't understand how much of a part of that we were going to be, but, uh, it happened and, and that was out of our control. I, I do like to think that we've, um, at least helped in the aftermarket make air suspension more achievable and more popular and more functional because we make it work better. We make it easier to use and we make it more reliable before us. There were all those kind of complaints that were just really limiting air suspensions potential. So I'd like to think we played some of a role there, but really, I, the, I would argue Reno, space. that you actually have probably not only pushed the aftermarket space, but because of some of your thought processes and the way that your your product works, I think you've actually influenced some of the OEs to say, "Hey, here's this really cool system in the aftermarket. How do we apply it on an OE level?" I I, I honestly believe you guys have had a a part in some of those vehicles that are coming with air suspension with the way and um, I guess you say the the strategy of how their systems work. They have to be because they walk through SEMA. All the OEs are at SEMA and and they're car fans. A lot of the guys, the engineers, as we know, they're enthusiasts and they're walking through going- They're picking up ideas. They're picking up ideas. Perfect example. So going back to uh, Reno and I talking about on Ram trucks, right? So the Ram 3500 with the max tow package in the air suspension on the back, uh, the current one, not the 19, because I'm not allowed to talk about that, but these might apply to that as well. Uh, <laughs> i got about another two weeks before we can talk about the ride of that. But let's go to the current truck. It has like a quarter elliptical leaf spring under it in order to locate the rear axle, and then it has airbags mm-hmm. on it, and it's self-leveling. What's important about that is if you go into a Ford F450 with a gooseneck at, at full load, or you go into a current Chevy Heavy Duty, not the 2020s, but a 19 and before, with leaf springs, no air suspension at their heavy loads, you only have a couple of inches of up travel. And so when you have a gooseneck and you have those heavy loads or heavy trailers or payload in the it's back- It's being limited by the bags, you're saying? No, 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 no. It's being limited by the springs. And so what's happening is the ride suffers because you're you're hitting the the jounces all the time, with, gotcha. even though the, the chassis is stout enough and the engine and transmission and thermal and management, those are all- are stout enough to pull that big trailer, but you suffer and ride because you have no, you have, uh, you know, no uh, uh, travel of your rear suspension. Then you so can get a ram. Here's the big, here's the big element on on the way that the load versus um, capacity and all that stuff, and, and really spring rate design works. So you know, basically on a leaf spring or or even a coil spring, 
you have to design that stiffness to be enough to support the load when you're at your full GVW. Yep. Now, that always is going to equate to an overly harsh ride when you're unloaded. 100%. So this is why your, your pickup truck is going to go down a section freeway with a big bounce from the back when you're unloaded. Yep. But you'll notice if you <laughs> have a pretty good out. load in there, it actually rides pretty good, right? Exactly. That's my, my so, wife words a sports bra well, going this, down the 405 freeway. This is freeway. why on the Ram Heavy Duties <laughs> yeah. with the air suspension – because it can level out the truck again, it's giving you that that um, wheel travel back. It's giving you that suspension travel back because it's separating it's giving the you travel, from the axle. But it's also it's giving you travel, and it's also increasing the stiffness yes. to where you need it for having that extra mass. So that's what she keep said. in mind when <laughs> Sorry. keep in mind that when the air suspension is uh, or when the vehicle is unloaded and your air springs have a light amount of force on them, the pressure that's inside the spring to achieve your target height is low. And so now the spring rate on that spring is lower. Yeah, you have a, var- now, you you have a variable it, spin- spring rate. Right. So when you add load to it, then it, you know the spring sinks down. The automatic leveling system adds extra air pressure. Now the spring actually is stiffer. Well, that is why air suspension came about. In, in the early days, it started on, on uh, Greyhound buses because – the people that were getting on the bus first in the morning or getting off the bus last at night were complaining about how bad it rode. Now, once the bus was fully loaded, everything was fine. Well, an air, an air spring solves that because it's actually got a ride versus load decoupling is what they call it. But what it means is that the natural frequency, so the spring rate increases, but the natural frequency, basically stiffness over mass, is going to stay the same as you increase the load. And it's just this really interesting and key feature of an air spring is that you get the same ride, whether you're loaded or unloaded, um, out of that spring. And then the point you bring up about travel, yeah, that's huge. You need to have ample amount of suspension travel to not be running into the bump stops. And we all know running into bump stops doesn't feel good. The other element there is to keep all of your angles correct, being your alignment angles, your pinion angles, every every part of the the geometry of the suspension for it to be correct and for the vehicle to ride and feel good, it also needs to be at its design height. There's really not, you can't be far away from that and still get good results. Um, You'll get extreme tire wear. And if you ever notice when you're heavy loaded on the rear and the vehicle doesn't want to find center anymore, Uh, Lightning knows about that. (laughs) Lightning was talking about his truck that was unable to steer because he went on trailering oscillations on a bridge. Yes. And that's, uh, that's it right there. That's not, as scary no, as it gets right not there. Not my truck. That was, yeah, that, no, was not, that was another truck that, but, I, that but I drove. But you were still driving at the time, right? Oh, yeah. The front wheels came off the ground. Yeah. There was no steering By the at way, all. that's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say, going back to the Greyhound bus analogy, not only do you have all the benefits that Reno's talking about, but then you have additional features like kneel mode. How many of you have gotten onto a bus at the curb level where the bus kneels for you? Well, that's all because the air suspension allows that I to just thought it was because the bus thought I was badass. No, nobody oh, thinks that. Not no. even buses. <laughs> okay. Uh, Reno. I've got, a, I've got a question for you about your fail-safes. Are the circuits, do they have check valves so that they're independent? And the reason I ask is as OEs have progressed with their different air suspensions, Land Rover, I don't know if they do it now, but early on, when they had an airbag or an uh, air system failure, they would fail in the, lower, in the lowered mode, whereas a Grand Cherokee fails in the up mode because they have a check valve. So if the system detects a leak or an issue, it shuts it off so that you don't lose ride height. And so I'm just curious, like, what happens in your system? Are they isolated, the circuits from each other? Are there check valves in there? What would happen if somebody had a bag failure or a system failure? The corner that's holding up the vehicle, if you have a problem in the spring itself or the line 
going to that spring. So you didn't install your line good and it chafed on something. There's no way we can hold that corner of the vehicle up because there's no way to hold pressure in that spring. Now, from a system components air management side of the system, we have the valves for each air spring isolated and um, you know basically separated so that if one part of the system goes down, the other parts don't also go down. And keep in mind that, that if you lose one air spring, in a lot of cases, the vehicle can be somewhat drivable still because you still have three others. And so you can kind of balance the vehicle out. It's not going to be anything you want to go over 55 miles an hour or something, but you, you, you actually get a good result. Now, keep in mind that all factory-equipped vehicles still have a bump stop. Factory-equipped air suspension vehicles still have a bump stop. So if you lose air pressure, you just go onto your bump stop, which is still um, it's not the it's not a comfortable ride, but it but keeps you at a safe height and it's very drivable, so you're not stranded. Well, the problem that um, you know us tinkerers in the aftermarket <laughs> is that we want the car to go as low as we possibly can in a parking lot, which means everybody takes their bump stops out. You know, the first thing you read when you open our any of our manuals is the vehicle has to be has to be able to roll at a safe height when there's no air in the suspension. Reno is is Bobby at sadistic? Is he following those instructions? <laughs> no, <laughs> I bet he's not the only one, and and that's the reality. Is like the the market um, a big seller in the performance market is the appearance of a car on air suspension that's aired out. Um, that's that that is a big element, but reality is like the bigger market for air suspension. Um, they don't care about that look, and so they always have a bump stop, and um, it's a much more practical, it's a much safer you know solution. Um, you know, a lot of people look at my car when it's aired out in a parking lot, and I hear them say, "Is that thing broken?" <laughs> they don't get it, you know what I mean? And and that's probably, I don't know. 99 out of 100 people on the planet really would, would say like is it broken yeah it's, it's uh what's know, wrong with cars them? are yeah right exactly <laughs> to us everything looks better lower but yeah obviously the the bigger part of the market doesn't get that and so someday i see us really selling air suspension systems that our marketing pictures aren't cars aired out they're cars at ride height and ripping around corners and just speaking to a different market um and definitely that towing functional market uh, for truck stuff is is really calling for better solutions. You know, you have load leveling type solutions like a helper bag, which that, that can do some improvement from a standpoint of um, getting that travel back like you were talking about so that the vehicle is traveling in the right range, but you don't get any improvement in ride when you're unloaded. And so you still have that harsh unloaded ride, whereas, you know, a full air suspension solves that. So that's the fun thing about the business that we're in is um, there's no limit to how far we can take the products and the market and the potential. And it's not a, it's not something that everybody can do. It's like, there's a lot of technical involvement. Um, you know, it's not just what my brother and I created at the beginning. We've now got this whole team of, you know, passionate, talented people that, um, you know, are really thinking about how to make products, related to air suspension that much better for the future and uh and it's, it's there's just not everybody's doing that so not it's not easy so um our hats off to you honestly like you're one of the guys that we you. wanted to talk to for this reason we we are fans of the entrepreneurial spirit we're fans of entrepreneurs in automotive obviously and you've done what others either well, can't or haven't we're fans of engineering 
Yeah. Like, right. I mean, there's lots of people who can come out with a product and make a product, but they're not engineers and, and it's not fully thought or baked. And, you know, there's lots of people who rip off other people in the same space, but don't understand the engineering so it doesn't work the same or or the product. Yeah. It, it, they didn't get why somebody put a certain tab or a shape here. They just copied it and don't get it. I mean, we talked to Jerry at Camberg and Mel at Offroad Evolution, two of the you know entrepreneurs who self-started their businesses who've had people rip them off, but for the wrong reasons. And so the rip-off products don't work right because their products were engineered. And so I think there's a special kind of place for those high-level thinkers who give you a quality product in the aftermarket because uh, it's not always easy to find in every every category. What we were talking about earlier that really there's not a lot of requirements in the aftermarket. So a lot of the extra effort we're going to is, you know, just so we can sleep better. And so, and, and really it's like we are enthusiasts at heart. We are basically designing products for ourselves because, or, or as our customers would want them because we are similar to our customers in what we want. You know what I mean? So, but the way I would want to be treated if I brought a, bought a product like this, I would want it to have all that engineering behind it, and I would want it to be safe, and I would want it to be reliable. And uh, so that's why we do it, even though we don't have to, because you're right. The aftermarket is a little bit of a um, – it's a wild west. Like, you have a lot of people that are knocking other products off. We see it every year at SEMA. Um, and, of course, they're doing it the cheaper way, missing some of the intricate details, and then the end result is not as good. And so if it – results in lower quality, lower reliability, or something that's unsafe, that's bad for the whole industry. Yeah, that hurts so, everybody, especially if it's a ripoff yeah. of your product. Somebody went the cheap route and then is pissed off that it doesn't work right. That could still reflect on you because it looks like your product. The bummer is the guy yep. who's buying the cheap one because there's a huge market for that. And it, it's always disappointed me. If you can't afford the new Endo CVT, save up for it. You you don't... Yeah, save up a little longer save to up get the a good little one longer. rather than... Yeah. Getting a cheap one that leaves you stranded. And that that's kind of my biggest frustration with some of the lower quality products in the market is um, they're basically hurting the market overall because let's say it's somebody's first air suspension experience. They go online, they find the cheapest product. Well, kind of shame on them for just doing that. Do your homework, do your research, figure out who's running what product and why they like it. Um, but then separately, they get that cheap product installed. Then they have a problem. Then they hate air suspension. They don't just hate that product or that manufacturer. They just hate it totally because um, they have such a bad experience. That's that's frustrating because then we're basically turning off new market. So, um, but I don't know any way to avoid that. If you guys figure it out, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I don't think there is. You know. I uh, yeah. I see guys. I work at banks, and we make inline tuners, make you go fast. And I see guys all the time. Like, you know what? I don't know about that one. I had a tuner one time. This other brand, and I'm like, and they name the brand. I go, oh, it's the bottom of the barrel. Like that's why you had a bad experience. You should have just waited or did a little bit of research. Well, and and they have yeah. that saying, right? The bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price. And I did think you wait. Did you just read that? No, this is directly from my head. Say it again. Directly from my wow. head. Say it again. The bitterness of poor quality. <laughs> Remains long screen. after the sweetness of low price, <laughs> yeah. and and here here's the deal, right? It is you're not if you have a quality product that you're not replacing every single year, or you're not replacing in five years or ten years, you're not going to remember what it costs up front. So save a little longer, yeah. get the get the right thing in the beginning, and don't do it again. Because I will give you another saying: because if you don't have time to do it right now, what makes you think you have time to do it right the second time? Hmm. I like that you one. You like that? Did your dad tell you that? No, he didn't. I came up with that all by myself right. off the internet sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, so Reno, what's the future of AccuAir? 
we never quite know exactly what this future is going to hold. I mean, I can say that we'll we'll probably always be a part of the market that we are now, just because we're we're passionate about it. And I don't think it's going anywhere. I don't think you know people are going to stop liking the look of C10s on the ground and you know cool hot rods and cool late model Audis and BMWs and all that stuff. So I think the market will stay, and I think it'll keep kind of continuing to grow. Um, but like I said, I, we we have. Um, big aspirations for you know solving some of those issues in the truck market, um, and then who knows you know with, with any luck the the OE demand that's there you know there's somebody's going to realize the value that our products and technology and innovations have, and maybe someday you'll find it on a new car. You know that'd be that'd be pretty sweet. I think you see some some of the top echelon aftermarket brands that started in the aftermarket and actually transitioned to OE. So. Bill Stein, you know, AV, Fox, Fox, Fox Dampers, yeah. yeah. It's a real win-win when that happens because the aftermarket customer appreciates them even more because they realize, okay, these guys are for real and they're um, they're going to be around and they've they're validating their products at an OE level. Um, and then you know, on the OE side, you know, I think the advantage is we've kind of had to innovate in ways for our market that they've never needed to innovate or thought about innovating in the OE space. So for instance, you know, the, the E-level system calibrates automatically to each vehicle in five minutes just by itself. That takes engineers a year to do on a new car. Basically <laughs> each, I'm serious. It's true. True story. I know. I, I'm not even, uh, I'm, I'm laughing because like, it's funny. I mean, it's... And you figure the cost of that, you know, to, to, and then the other thing going on is that the E-level system is learning how it's performing over time for the whole life of the vehicle. So, um, whereas like uh, when you're parameterizing the way they do a new car, they kind of set the tolerance so that it will be good enough over the life of the vehicle. So as dampers degrade and bushings wear, um, the system will still stay within spec, whereas our system can actually adjust for those things. So we hold a much tighter tolerance. Anyways, we have some value to that market, and I'd love to love to see it happen. We've we've had tons of opportunities over the years, and fingers crossed, you know. Twenty nineteen is your year, my friend. That's it. Uh, it's, I I hope you're so right about that. I always <laughs> hope for hoping that they're going to say that. You know what I mean? We're hoping 2019 is our year too. Yeah. <laughs> Some yeah. year will be our year. I mean, it might be 2022. Yeah. But uh, you know, yeah. Reno, I have a question for you. So I went on. Uh, I was looking for an application for a buddy, and I thought I could do a one-stop shop at AccuWear.com. And I thought I right. could buy bags and whatnot there. And because I wanted the E level, but I thought I want to buy it all because I knew your quality was top notch and you know all of mm-hmm. your R and D. But then I discovered you don't sell the airbags themselves or the struts. Why? Yeah. So we, we actually, like I was saying earlier, so, you know, when we tackle something, it's going to be the best way and that's it. Previously, we have actually sold other manufacturers, you know, air springs and brackets and um, vehicle-specific components along with our systems. Um, the challenge that came up is that, like I said, the quality is not at our level. And so then we're selling somebody something from AccuAir that's not all at our quality level. And so we just decided we're not going to do that. We're going to just, you know, we're going to wait until we can do our own systems, vehicle specific, before you're going to be able to buy that stuff through us. So right now, um, you know, it's it's everything for your air suspension other than the bags and brackets for your car. Think air management, um, right? You're managing exactly. the lifeblood of your air system. system. Yeah, but sure. I'm, a, I'm a customer and I'm pissed off that I can't buy everything from AccuAir because they kick ass and I know that they offered airbags yeah. and, and, you know, the whole thing. It would be the best, and yet they uh, they're growing as fast as they can, and they have a big staff. Or how many employees do you have right now? Seventy-five. Wow. <laughs> what? See, that's impressive. No, yeah. you do not. 
Do you really? We do. Holy yeah, crap. I mean, we we have grown quite a bit, and we you know we just moved into a new facility um, about two years ago. That's seventy five thousand square feet. I mean, it's, it's a it's a big deal, but it's not it's not easy. Every day I walk in and go, Jesus, what did we what did we what start happened? here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, the just um, just doing payroll alone, you know, like now you have to have an uh, HR director because you've got like over yeah. fifty people. And right. you got all these other, yeah, I just don't even. Do you ever get called mm. into the HR office? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I started this company, damn it. <laughs> to be honest, I have been called in there for not being as sensitive as I should be. <laughs> That's my man oh, right there. Man. <laughs> and do you ever tell your HR person, do you know who I am? Yeah, right. But <laughs> I hired you. Doesn't, I can isn't going to stop a lawsuit. Yeah. Yeah, well, right. dude, you're not far from Silicon Valley, and we got all the, you know, the um, uh, what do you call them? The softies. What's the the term? Every uh, kitten sweater wears. Not nah, well. That's snowflakes. That, that's millennials. Snowflakes. I went to look for. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, awesome millennials snowflakes. that are out there. So a, we're in California, and so we're full of snowflakes. Yeah. And then he's up by right. Silicon Valley, which makes it worse. So half these people don't yeah. want to drive at all. They don't understand cars, and he's and he's looking yeah. for tech people. So he's getting all these softies into his office, applying, and he's like, How do you know? that i just know yeah, i know maybe he lives in the or works in the hotbed of automotive activity up there and i'm not it's saying, all awesome people i'm not saying that he doesn't but i know that he's got employees that he's like really you need a thicker skin am i right you yeah can't basically answer that question. i don't think it matters really where <laughs> i don't think it matters where you are as soon as you have employees you have to have a thicker skin you have to have more compassion uh more patience no, um, no, no, no. You're well, saying, owning a business is just oh, not going to work for me. Then. No, I was saying that Reno was saying, thinking about this of some of his employees. That he his can't employees, answer that question. That, he can't say that. I'm, I'm not telling you to go like Joe in, in no, shipping he needs can't a thicker say skin. That. He has 75 employees. <laughs> what, oh, well, Reno was on this podcast and talked about how crappy we all are. He can't say that. No, no I'm not saying uh, to call out his employees. You basically are. Am as I? As a group, yes. <laughs> he, he, I'm, I'm trying to. What, what I will say. <laughs> is that we have uh, over the years, and we we don't have a lot of turnover. So, um, you know, we we've, we've built kind of a family uh, atmosphere and really a group of people that are all passionate about cars and passionate about what we're doing, and the products that we're building. Everybody cares. Everybody wants to be here. That's that's really what matters at the end of the day because you have to enjoy your job. It's not just about punching a clock and getting a paycheck. Amen. You have to feel accomplished at the end of the day and you feel like, you know, you made progress or you can see what your effort resulted in. And that's, that's honestly, that's the cool part about any small organization is you don't, you don't feel like you're just a cog in a wheel. You are, you can see your output, you can see your results. And so people that are motivated, you know, type A people, they, they work well here. What I will say is like people that are not automotive don't have a passion for what we're doing and don't, don't get a win from from our accomplishments, they don't last here. So it, they just end up moving on, and it's and it's better for them, honestly. They need to find something that they're passionate better about. Better for everybody. And, yeah. All right. So one last yeah, question: so. How many times have you turned down a buyout of your company? Um, three. Because I yeah, would I mean, imagine people are looking at you because there's a huge consolidation going on in the automotive aftermarket right now with big VC yeah, companies buying is. everybody else up. And I would imagine yeah. a company like yours with such a good product and reputation is high on the list of some of those companies. It is. Um, what I'll say is like the uh, the key element that I think we have above a lot of other automotive aftermarket companies is that the founders are still here. My brother and I still care and operate the same way we always have. And, you know, 
we we drive the culture of the organization in a way that that big companies that get bought lose. And so, you know, that's that's definitely something I, I would hate to see for the brand is that it it does it just loses that element, that kind of passion and that kind of um, care that we have. Um, and so, what I'll say is like typically when people are looking to acquire, they're they're um, most people are looking for a good deal. Um, and the, the challenge is that they need to keep us here. So a good deal is, you know, for them, they need to realize like we would have to stay in the business to keep the business what it is and help it to keep growing. Um, and, and some people get that, but most don't, especially from like a private equity perspective. Someday I'd like to own a house, you know, in California, it's not cheap. Uh, so there's, <laughs> you know, there's, I have some, I have some personal goals cause you, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you set all of those kind of personal, um, ideals aside for the business and you just you Dude, know I've been there that, that's, opportunity that's a rough one yeah. when you're like I need to it's either payroll for my employees or yeah. a mortgage payment for my own house and I've skipped mortgage right. payments before in the past so I could pay employees yeah. and that sucks yeah. Oh, yeah. but but ultimately the 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 thing that we built this beast is is uh, got some value I hope and that it'll have some legs for it for you know either my you know our kids or if it goes down the road and we go on to something else, I don't. I don't really see that ever happening though, because we're we're pretty. Um, yeah, sound like you love what you do. about this market after all these years. Oh yeah. So if people want to find you, it's uh, AccuAir.com. Yeah, pretty good size Instagram following at AccuAir, um, at AccuAir on Facebook too. You know, it's cool. I think the social media side's pretty sweet because. You know, our customers like to send us photos and videos of their cars, awesome cars, honestly. And so, um, you know, we get to expose those to the audience and it just creates just just more fuel for other guys. Like, oh, I have I have that car. I want mine to look like that. And so um, we have a huge following on, on social media, I think, for that reason, because, you know, a lot of people um, desire to have their car have a better stance and a better appearance and that's just kind of it's it's pretty simple these days to get a somewhat late model car you know finance it and uh you know put seven ten thousand dollars into wheels and tires and air suspension and make it unique and make it your own and make it cool and uh yeah check us out on social media and online of course congratulations reno and thank you very much for oh, spending you. some time with us. Like I, I've, I've wanted I, I really you... enjoyed it, and I enjoyed the good questions too. You guys have uh, <laughs> right nothing, on nothing like some good technical engineering questions, and I think you know, hopefully, some of your audience had had similar questions, and so we got got to answer that kind of stuff. is always cool, and um, appreciate the respect and all the compliments throughout. I mean, you guys uh, definitely. Come find me at SEMA this year. Let's have a beer and deal. Uh, I will try not to be. What did you call me? MIA? Or yeah. yeah, we, we, <laughs> yeah MIA with an APB. I'll, I'll not, <laughs> exactly. I'll try not to be APB. Appreciate it, guys. All right. Thanks, Thanks Reno. Time. All right, brother. Talk it. to you soon. All right. Nerdy, bye-bye. bye-bye. Reno Heon, co-founder, CTO, AccuWare. Dude. Yeah, I, I love- Can um, you tell how sharp he is, though? No, no, absolutely. And, and for being a young guy, how uh, much he is into engineering and validation- uh, and R&D. And I knew Acura was a great company. I've always heard great things about them. Um, I've always had really good luck with their products. Uh, friends of mine who have their products, everybody always speaks highly of them. But I didn't really know Reno, and I didn't really know the story. And so I think, uh, just like some of the listeners, there is a lot in there that I, I really learn and, and respect. I've told you that I've never owned a lower truck. 
I've owned, That's right. they've all been fixed suspension. So a lot of H&R Springs, a lot of Eibach and uh, cars, trucks, the whole thing. And always lusted after an AccuAir system. I'm not even joking. Like, but I never had anything to use it on. Yeah, sure. And I'm telling you that I'm going to. In the next, I'm going to say a year, something I own is going to be dropped and it's going to be on AccuAir. When you uh, get rid of your truck that you haven't sold. Might have a line on something. We'll see. I, I saw a couple emails come through on the yeah. Truck Show podcast account. Okay. Can we talk about something? I don't mean to derail the show. Yeah. Here's the thing. That's so what we I'm, do here. We I'm talk a, about that. I'm advertising uh, my truck, my, my lifted uh, 07 and a half uh, Silverado um, Duramax Dually. True story. It's, yep. It's up for sale right now on yep. Auto Trader and uh, various places, but it's probably easiest to find on Auto Trader. And I've noticed I've been getting emails from women. There's been, uh, I believe, three or four that have come through in the last week. Women, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All sales related. What they do is they say, hey, is your truck still available? And I thought, oh, interesting. Okay. And then they say, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in hearing about it more, but I'm, I'm a little uh, tentative. Can you, uh, can you punch in your VIN into VINcheck.com? So are they scams? They're trying me. They're, they're being paid okay. to get me to use the pay service to check my VIN. Uh-huh. Basically like, um, kind of like Carfax, right? Okay. So they're just seeing all the listings. They're, they probably have pages and pages of listings. And they write from a, they're actually, you can tell that they're typed. They're not, it's not a bot. Yeah. It's a real person. It's the last one was like Michelle at Outlook.com, which I don't think you can spam from Outlook. So they're literally just sending, there's someone in a cube and they're, or they're sending, they'll probably work from home. I was excited. I saw all these emails coming and say, you have a response. Negative. Like a Negative. No. It sucked. And yeah. and so the first one, I'm like, she's like, yeah, I'd really like to learn more about it. But you know, I, there's so many scams out there. Can you uh, prove that it's yours at Vin, vincheck.com? Uh, it's only $7. And I thought- you would never write that. Yeah. You would never write that. I would if I wanted to buy your card and be like, uh, can you do vincheck.com? It's here's the website right. address, www, yeah. and it's only seven dollars. I'm like, or give me the VIN so I can check it, right? Exactly. And by the way, I think don't you have your VIN or part of it on yes. the listing? You have to put it in the right, listing. Right. That's what I thought. Exactly. So they have access to your VIN anyway. Exactly. Got so it. okay. it's but it's it's interesting that there's someone writing me and it's happened from three women. I'm like, uh, listen, so I got a call. I don't know if the word, the thing is going to work out, but I got another one today. Okay. And I'm uh, sorry, yesterday. And it was from a woman. And I go, oh. and the first thing is, oh, she texted me because okay. I finally put my number in there, whatever. And I, I put in and I get a text and it says, hey, this is, uh, I was like Melinda or something. And I wrote back, are you with vincheck.com? <laughs> and she goes, I don't know what that is, but I'm, I'm interested in buying this for my husband. I thought, She's going to respond and she's yeah. going to get me to vincheckpro.org yeah. right. or something, right? And then she's like, no, we saw it listed here and we live here and my my husband had an HD and he wrecked it. And, he needs, and so she, oh. and so uh, it was an inter- so interesting like story. Legit. It was yeah. like almost a little bit like tear jerking. Well, it was not there <laughs> what yet. A, what a great wife. Yeah. Oh. Very, yeah, it is. Well, I mean, to be honest, you are selling it for eighteen nine nine nine, right? $18,999. Holman, you okay with a little five-star hotline? Oh my gosh, how I have missed you, Five Star Hotline. Okay. <laughs> oh, come on and be part of the show. Call the Five Star Hotline. 657-205-6105. It's the Five Star Hotline. Five Star Hotline. Hey, Lightning and Holman. My name is Luke Schwaller, and uh, on February 5th, which is today, that I'm leaving this message, it's my birthday. I'm talking really loud or really quiet because I'm sleeping next to my wife and I'm trying not to wake her up. I love the podcast. I've been a listener since episode one. 
and keep up the good work, guys. Thank you. All right. See y'all. I think we owe Lucas a little belated happy birthday. Uh, I think we do. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Lucas. Happy birthday to you. From the Truck Show Podcast. Did we wake up your wife? <laughs> hey, guys. This is Matt and Kimson here from Creative Services. We were wondering, sitting in traffic here in L.A., why doesn't anyone make a small hybrid truck like a Tacoma with the Prius technology? But smaller. Like the yes. old pickup truck. That old Toyota pickup truck from the mid-'90s. Yes. Like I used to have. They could be great for all the landscape guys, gardeners, great fuel mileage. I think it'd be a no-brainer. All right. See ya. Hey, those are our guys from Creative Services who make our logos and I stuff, know, right? <laughs> it's so funny. Hey, guys, it's Matt Gibson from Creative Services. <laughs> you know what's funny? Because in Creative Services in Hollywood, that's the like the food catering guys, Yeah, no, right? these are the logo and uh, graphic arts guys within our uh, our company. At Motor Trend. Motor Trend, yeah. Okay. So what's our answer? Uh, just expense, because I think people don't look at a small pickup and think premium. Um, they think of basic transportation. And so that type of technology in there is going to be you know, raise the price of it. Now, I can tell you that both Fiat slash Ram and Ford are apparently working on or have overseas that might come here, front-wheel drive-based pickup trucks, hmm. uh, which I'm certainly not a fan of, but they're unibody, like Fiesta-based. and uh, Oh. Yeah. And so, like, little Honda Ridgelines. But worse. But worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so, fuel-efficient little pickups are coming. I just, I can't, uh, I can't stand behind we that. We do not endorse. I cannot endorse that. Um, I think it would be cool if there was, a, like, a little battery-powered deal, like, you know, but, like, the Rivian. But that's a big truck, and that's luxurious. I wonder if anybody will come up with, like, a little truck that, uh, I think you can get, a, a, like, an aftermarket Ranger Electric for a while, or Ford had it on, like, a fleet leasing program. Eh, might be kind of cool, but... No. 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 Okay, cool. moving on. Sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> Truck Show Podcast, what you said then. This is Matt from Bowling Park again. Lightning. Look. 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 Daddy no like you. These rumors are spreading about me. So stop it. Fix your goddamn life. <laughs> Why is he mad? I, I, I'm not aware of having spread rumors. <laughs> I have no idea. Wait, we, we like Matt because he leaves funny messages. Matt from Baldwin Park. I don't, this but, is weird. But, Do you know I had to get a restraining order one time against a guy? <laughs> Was his name Matt from Baldwin Park? No, I don't. I don't know where he lived. <gasps> what if that's the same dude and he's found you again? No, this guy was in a home, man. This guy was really? nuts. And he would purposely not take his medication and he would call. He sent in a, a VHS cassette. This was many years ago when people had VHS. And so he sent in this cassette and it was, I don't know, it was something about like I was talking to God or something. It was weird. I'm like, right. And I just shelved it. It was part of it because it came in when we were looking for some other listener requests sure. at this rock radio station I worked at. And I just shelved it. And then we tapes stacked up and the whole thing. And I and like, eventually just threw it away because we said your tapes are non-refundable. Tapes, CDs, whatever. Yeah, CD. we're not bringing them back. We're, no, you're not, we're not going to mail them back yeah. to you. It was a, I think you had to, it was a singing contest to get like Chili Peppers tickets. Yeah, something I, like I that. I actually remember that. Which is whatever amazing. it was. And so I never watched it and I threw it in the trash because like we asked for CDs and he said a VHS. Sure. Well, this guy calls and goes, did you watch the tape? It's really important. And I go, no, it's, you know, we said send in a CD or a digital recording or whatever. Cassette. And he didn't. And he says, well, that's, he's like, you have no idea what you've done. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, Jesus spoke to me. And do you say God or Jesus? I don't know. One of the two. He's like, uh, it's, it's, it's divine. And you, that's this, he tells, talks about Armageddon. And if, if this is for everyone, 
I was looking to you, Lightning, to give to Kevin and Bean, the morning show host, so they could spread the word to the world. Because if we don't get this message out, it, we're all doomed. And he was dead serious. What if he was right? And I said, I'm sorry. And he goes, he goes you got you to give, give me the tape back so I can give it to somebody else. And I go, I threw it away. He goes, that's the only one. I go, what? what? Oh, man. So he gave me like the Ten Commandments, like yeah. the tablet, right? Okay. Or whatever. And I trashed it. Yeah, good job. Yeah. And, and so he, I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, dude. And I hang up the phone and he calls back. And then he calls back. Uh-oh. And then he calls back. And because I was working with a lot of publicists and they were calling late hours and what I had my cell phone on my outgoing message at work. Uh-huh. And he got that and he began to call me at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. I blocked his call. Then he would get a call from a different number so it wouldn't be blocked. And at some point, I figured out where it was coming from. I called the home that he was in and, and found out who his wife, I found out that he was married and then... I get her on the phone and she apologized profusely that he would purposely does not take his medication so he can talk to God. I honestly, that's probably the best example of not taking your medication that I would be okay with. But it sucked because I'm not joking. He would call me. Did you ever see the worst hours? Never met him. Okay. Never came by your house or anything like that? Nothing like, no, he couldn't get out of the home. He was there and he was still married in the, in the, I don't know why. I don't know why he's still married. I don't know any of those dynamics, but. The guy was still. So, with are his you chick. right now giving Matt from Baldwin Park a blueprint of how to stalk you? <laughs> I mean, he already has your uh, cell phone number from the first time when we launched this line. That's true. And everything was going to your phone oh. instead of the uh, the five star hotline. So, I don't know, dude. I, and I eventually had to. It continued uh-huh. and continued, and I had to seek our counsel from the radio station's attorney. And it's, and she ended up getting me a restraining order against this guy because he wouldn't stop calling me because. I stood between the people right. and God. Maybe you shouldn't throw things away that don't belong to you. I learned my lesson. <laughs> uh, all right. How about a new uh, voicemail? Hey, guys. This is Brian in Columbus, Georgia. I just had a quick question for you. Um, you talk a lot about the HD trucks and the diesel trucks and how people don't really need the diesel power and that they don't haul a lot. case on the Titan XD with the 5-liter Cummins, if you don't do a lot of towing with that or you get run into those same types of problems where you don't build up enough heat to burn off the carbon or whatever it was I was talking about. Um, thanks for answering our questions. It's a great show, and look forward to hearing the next episode. Oh, awesome. That's a great question. So what he is uh, referring to, what was his name? Did he say, oh, Brian. Brian. What Brian was talking about is a lot of guys who drive these uh, three-quarter, one-ton diesel trucks. We were talking about the last, the last uh, HD episode versus the gas choices that are coming out versus diesel and uh, with the gas being so high in terms of capability, do you really need a diesel? And, so and he's also, I think he's talking about um, the DPF, your departicular yep. filter. So um, if you don't use your truck the way it's supposed to be used, you end up clogging. You're trying to spool yep. up the turbo and you're sending a lot of gas that goes unused through the system and it clogs up this. If de- you're not working the truck, you're not getting it hot enough to burn off you know, excess carbon. So as, as some people say, you've got little charcoal briquettes basically uh, yeah. that go into your diesel particulate filter, which sits under the generally the passenger side under there and it's a big giant tank that's filled with like what looks like pumice stone if you were able to cut it you know cross section well, tank um it's like, it's, it's like it's it looks like a muffler yeah, it, it looks, looks like, like a muffler, muffler. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly anyway so that stuff it gets full and it clogs up and your truck has to heat it and burn it up 
in what's called a regeneration cycle. And during that regeneration cycle, it uses extra fuel because it has to get it hot enough to burn it out of there. And it's this whole big thing. And, um, it, and if you can avoid it, you do. So guys who tow big heavy loads and go across country with like a new Duramax or a Ram or whatever, they don't have regen issues because the truck they're is always- in the truck. They're working the truck. Yep. It's, at, you know, it's in boost. It's using all the fuel. It's not sending uh, black smoke through the system clogging this. And so I guess what Brian is saying, well, the Titan- suffer from that because it's a smaller truck. Um, it's a five liter instead of like a Duramax 6.6 or the 6.7 with the, with the Ram and the Cummins. Well, this is why you have regen mode. You're just going to be in regen mode more often. Uh, it's always good to get whatever vehicle, you know, even the little Colorado ZR2 diesel that we have out here. Still good. I, I, when I get on the freeway, I, I'll hammer it from time to time just to get the AGTs up and get that turbo spooling. And you always want to have, if you if you have a diesel, in my opinion, you always want to work it a little bit, you know, even if you're just using it as a commuter for mileage and stuff. It's always good to, to get into it and get it get it hot. And so Blow out the go. cobwebs. Yeah, the problem is if you have diesel and you have a five-mile commute every day. Like that's worst case scenario because you don't even get the engine up to temp or anything, and you're just it's you know reeking all sorts. Yeah, of Yeah, well, that we you know if if you have a a brand new Duramax truck and your commute is 15 miles and it's and it's just down city streets and you're just stoplight or you know stop sign to stop sign, to spool that turbo up, you're throwing a lot of fuel at it and it doesn't need all that fuel. It goes unburnt and it goes and it ends up clogging your DPF. And it may be, I guess what Brian is asking, if you have a smaller, the five liter Cummins in the Titan, would that happen less because you're working the engine a little more because the engine is smaller? Does that make sense? Um, I think it goes back to every diesel needs to be worked regardless of size. Okay. All right. And I think being in a big heavy truck, the Titan's a pretty heavy truck. It's like 7,000 pounds or something like that. Oh, is it that much? 6,800, something like that. Yeah. It's, it's pretty heavy. So you're still moving a lot of mass. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's always important no matter, uh, no matter what diesel you have, you, you got to get, you know, got to get it to a point where everything gets up temperature and the bad stuff burns off and, you want reliability, you definitely, you know, a lot of moisture can get into the system and condensation and all. You just, you got to get it up to temp and burn all that stuff off. So the bottom line is, uh, Brian, if you're going to buy a Titan, use it like it's supposed to be used. I mean, use yeah. it like it's a truck. It yeah. is. Tow it from time to time. And uh, if you- No, don't, don't tow the Titan. Oh, use yeah, the Titan for right, towing. To, to, tow with it. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, for people who aren't going to uh, tow at those max loads and things like that, you know, the gas engine is always a great option in any of these big trucks. Yeah. Get a Titan with gas. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, Sean and Jay. Figured I'd mess up both of your names and make you both mad. <laughs> this is Zach from Roth, Oklahoma, Southern Oklahoma. I work at the Home Depot by day and at night remodel houses. I'm on my way back home from a remodel job right now, driving my 2007 Dodge Ram 3500 with 67 Cummins in it. You can probably mm. hear the rumble. I, like I also have a 97 F350 with the 7.3 that I'm building at the house single rear wheel i'm converting it to a dually and building a flatbed and my long-term goal is to convert it to four-wheel drive the four-door red with that beautiful lovely red interior yes listen to every one of your shows keep it up five stars oh five, five stars. stars that's awesome thank you zach appreciate the the five-star hotline call 657-205-6105 is the number if you got a question or a concern or a comment or you just want to call us in the middle of the night we will not answer but you can leave us a message absolutely and you know the easiest way to find it if you go to our instagram at truck show podcast it's the call button that's our call button right there it'll dial just boom leave us a message holman let's do some what's new in trucks Ooh, time to dance What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. 
lifted, lowered, and everything in between. What's happening in the world of trucks? Oh! Ooh, that was like great synchronicity that was really right good, there. Huh? We should do that on the plane on the way to uh, LST. As we uh, find our seats? Yes. <laughs> oh! Uh, no. Oh, no. no that may, that uh, might, might not might look bother good. people. They'll hear about us on the- Oh, that's how we get on the news and talk about the Truck Show podcast. Uh, we- two podcast co-hosts <laughs> were pulled off of a Southwest flight. For making guttural noises. Uh, I've got some sad, sad news to report. You're kicking me off the show? No, that's not sad. Oh. <laughs> Depending Touché. on who listens. Um, you, no. you don't have the power to kick me off the show, do uh, you? Yeah, I sure do. No, you don't. Yeah, it would be, no, uh, I'm going to go find Jabubli. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, this is incredibly, incredibly sad. We have talked to American Expedition Vehicles, AV a number of times. Uh, we've talked to our buddy Matt over there. We've talked about their great Ram products and Jeep products and had quite a bit of conversation about their ZR2 Bison. Yes, with the well, don't 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 tell me the boron hot stamp steel. Yes, yes, okay, got it. So um, a lot of uh, pent up demand for that, I would say. Mm-hmm. It just just went on sale in uh, January. I think, okay, you know? I thought you were going to tell me that they decided to pull off the market. Sold out. <laughs> so <laughs> that's you, the opposite of you pulling can, it off no, the market. You can no longer order a 2019 ZR2 Bison edition. It is sold out. They allocated two thousand units. Dunsky. What? Yep, they're all. So when you gone. call, uh, when you call the dealer, they're like, "We are deeply <laughs> sorry." <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So that kind of sucks. If mm. you were looking forward to getting a bison, I actually had a somebody who I was messaging with on uh, Instagram. He goes, "Hey, do you think I should get a bison or get a whatever?" I'm like, and "You're like, good yeah, luck. Yeah, good luck with a bison. You're gonna yeah. be waiting a year." But AEV is like, <laughs> "Yeah, buddy." You know? Oh yeah, they are. <laughs> uh, we talked about the uh, Jeep Gladiator, the JT. Yes, we uh, have going to King of Hammers. Uh, yes, and you saw it get all beaten up. Oh, yeah. So I have a lot of Gladiator stuff for later in the show. Okay. But the Jeep Gladiator finished the 2019 King of the Hammers. So Jeep has got to be ecstatic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you're talking single shock at each wheel, 35 inch. It was in the stock class. Uh, Savvy Off-Road built it. Eric Miller and Robbie Gordon drove it. I want to say- How did it get beaten up? Because it looked like the tailgate was really messed up. My understanding was there was an issue with the lockers not being wired correctly or not working. And so they were didn't have lockers. And my understanding was, I believe it was Eric Miller was driving it, and they were stuck in a portion, and they just told everyone behind them. They were stuck in a Porsche? In a portion oh, of, okay. the, of the uh, course, and they told people, push us. <laughs> and literally, <laughs> race trucks were ramming into the back of them, pushing them along. Uh, well, they finished. It worked. So there were 130 vehicles that started the race in that class, and uh, only 48 of them finished. Pretty admirable. 165 mile long open desert rock filled canyon course this year, uh, and they had no major mechanical problems except for I guess that uh, aforementioned uh, yeah, yeah, locker the locker situation. issue. But that's not a Jeep yeah. thing, you know what I mean? No, so so just, the Jeep fair yeah. came out smell like roses. Yeah, absolutely. Now they, now Holman, so this is like a um, if you you're, you're debuting a new truck as many have over the years, they wanna they wanna um, impress a lot of people by running in the Baja 1000 or 500, yeah. right? Yeah. Has King of the Hammers become that? I think so. I think Ooh. in some ways. I think part of it is a Jeep is more appropriate on the KOH course because there's rocks and fast, right, than it is in Baja where it's mostly fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's local. It's in the U.S. And it's starting to be kind of an up-and-comer in that racing scene. So, yeah, I think it was a smart move for them and really proved just how uh, amazing that, that chassis is. So congratulations to uh, the guys over at Savvy and to uh, yep. Robbie and to Eric and uh, and the Jeep team because that's that's quite an accomplishment to see uh, that thing go through the stock uh, the stock class. So. Uh, did you hear Rivian, which is that electric pickup that we were talking about? Uh, we saw it at the LA Auto Show. Right. Now, there's the two brands. Remind me. So we have Rivian and the guy's last name. Bollinger. Bo- Bollinger. Okay. Yeah. So Rivian 
is the one that uh, we we haven't seen one that actually works yet, right? Um, I, I don't know if they work or not, but you've seen an SUV prototype and a truck prototype. Okay, so I saw the one looks like a- um, Honda Ridgeline-ish. Yeah, but no, I'm okay. So yeah, yep. the one that looks like a Honda Ridgeline, but but a little bigger, and it's got some interesting storage. Uh, a lot whole, of tech it, features. It, the one that I saw at the LA Auto Show looked like a lot of it was put together with ABS plastic, meaning it was a model more than it was a real truck. And yeah. I could be wrong about that. Uh, well, I, I just I, I want to have them on. I'm working on getting them on the show because I want to talk to them about it. But um, apparently, they have uh, gained enough uh, eyeballs. Uh, Amazon just announced a $700 million investment in the company. Excuse me? $700 million uh, equity investment uh, by Amazon. Amazon's in the car game? Uh, well, they have been in the electric and delivery, and they're you know they're buying up tons of tech companies and things like that. So uh, there aren't any details about it other than that giant cash infusion. So, so I remember that the uh, one of the spokeswomen at the LA Auto Show was telling me that they were moving into an old factory, and I don't recall what factory it was, but I thought this is. Legit. This is yeah. not not vaporware. Like this is a lot not of vaporware. Stuff. They had already made a huge investment. They're saying a 2020 launch. So I mean, pretty quick. We're talking about 18 months from now. Okay. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Now they have the SUV looked like a Navigator meets Suburban. Yeah. And I thought it was pretty interesting. I actually don't kill me, but I was a little more impressed with that than I was the truck. The truck looked too Ridgeline for me, okay. and, I, and the nose was a little odd. I'm guessing it's going to go through a few permutations before we see the final street version, right? But I'd love to speak to him. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll try and get them on the show. Um, also, Don't you know somebody who went to Rivian? I do. Holy crap. I, Mike Vu went to go work for Rivian. Uh, and the uh, the guy doing PR used to work for uh, one of the other big car companies. So apparently we're having tailgate wars. We're having what? Wait, don't wait. Okay, say it again. Go ahead now. Say it. So apparently we're having tailgate wars. <laughs> I'm surprised you did it that big. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> tailgate wars. Tailgate wars. Really? So uh, we're interested. So Ram is calling there the uh, multifunction tailgate. Uh, That's weak. Uh, come on. Uh, GM is multi-pro tailgate. Come on. So here's what's interesting about it. They're just so, trying to confuse the marketplace. So good on them for like realizing that they missed the boat. But that's when you call wait, it. Wait, what do you mean missed the boat? Well, I'm saying that they got one-upped. Like GMC came with the, with the multi-pro tailgate I first. I think they would disagree with you. Didn't we talk about this last episode where there's a Twitter war between the two brands? Yes. And uh, GM called out Ram and Ram posted a referee saying false start. Like a, a gift saying false start, and then said, "Come back on uh, what is it, February 7th? Yeah, I or get it, right. but like GM, GM came out with it first. It's the same model year. They just they announced it first. It's just part of their now. It's, to me, it's the same time. Basically. Oh, dude. Right. Oh, so all right. If that's but they're totally true, different. They're totally on, different. Hold on a second. Based on what that what I heard. Uh huh. Based on what um, our friend at GM told us, we had Tim Herrick on the phone, uh-huh. and he told us the story how that how the multi pro tailgate came to be. Okay. Sounded very organic. His engineers came to him uh-huh. and said, "Would you mind if we if we went with this?" Right? It sounded very organic. Now uh-huh. it, it, that could have been a fabricated story. I like to believe it's, it's, it's a, true. It's a true story. Fantastic. So because Tim's awesome and right, we loved him. And I believe that they were first. Wrong. No, I'm really? not saying they weren't first. But what I'm saying is, do you honestly believe that GMC came out with their multi pro tailgate and two months later Ram had a fully engineered solution? 
Is that what you want me to believe? I, I'm ha- I, I understand what you're saying, but and you, it would have taken years to develop. I you get don't it. know what you don't know. What I can tell you is I saw this tailgate two years ago and couldn't talk about it. Okay, okay. all right. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with being wrong, as I am often. I'm very surprised that Ram wouldn't immediately say, whoa, 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 multi-pro tailgate. We've had ours in the pipeline for- Well, they're not going to tell you how long they've been R&Ding it, but they just basically said, hey, everybody, just- Hold still, we have something coming. Because they have their auto show calendars planned out of what's going to come out, and it's part of the brand progression. But this tailgate that Ram has, which is different than GMC, if you look at the GMC tailgate, it's split horizontally, right? And so pieces of it come out and tumble and do all sorts of things. The Ram is a 60-40 split like a Dutch door. So not only does it fold like a regular tailgate, it also opens up like barn doors. Very interesting. Okay. I saw that. I think I saw that on the, um, which model did they debut on? It was a red it's, truck. It's a I Rebel. Think. Yeah, okay, it's a the Rebel. Rebel. So what's interesting about it is I think they all have it backwards. So the GMC product and-, and How pissed would you be if you're Ram and GM announces first and you've had it in the pipeline for a while? Because they had to have had it in the pipeline for a while, right? Both companies have, right? But if you're Ram and you're like, we've been sitting on this and we just got trumped because they their their PR guy approved the you know the, the release the earlier. Sooner. Like, oh my god, well, I, I don't if know. I was a guy who worked on the Ram the Ram tailgate. I'd be like, announce, announce, go, or, go, go. Or you're just sitting there lying in wait, going, let's let this die down because we're not done making our I own don't news. No, Ram's making a lot of news right now. Yes, they are. God bless them. Great product. Okay. And I just, man, I got to put myself in the shoes of the engineer who I would be going crazy if someone trumped me and if I knew mine was potentially better. So it's not better. It's different. I think each tailgate serves but a different potentially, purpose. Potentially. Right. right. But if you're at Ram, you believe yeah. it's better. Right. Absolutely. I, I, they're, they're, they're different in the way that, okay, so, Ram, so GMC's multi-pro splits into various levels and does different things and is very cool and you can step into it. But I've talked to some people who are truck enthusiasts and some manufacturers said, I'd be afraid that if I had a hitch installed in the back, I would use the tailgate and the door would run right into my hitch and I would dent my tailgate. Mm. Interesting point of view. Uh, I would say valid point of view. Rams opens out. So it doesn't matter if you have a hitch or not. You still are clearing your hitch. You have to worry about it hitting. Does it open down and out? No, it just opens out. Mm. But it opens, I believe it's like 88 degrees. So what's cool about that is it's a lot easier to get a pallet right up to the back bumper because there is no tailgate. Whereas the way General Motors has theirs cut, it's like a U-shape. So you'd have to have the forks have to be awfully narrow to get that close. So the Ram, you can get closer to the bed than you can on the GMC. Wait a minute. So you're telling me that if I have a uh, 4 by 10 piece of plywood... Because you can buy 10s, I think, right? I know it's normally like 4 by 8 but I think uh-huh. they sell 10s. I now have to leave my barn doors open? No, because it still folds down like a normal I tailgate. I just asked you that, and you said no. No, it folds down like a normal tailgate. It doesn't have like the extra fold-down le- layers or levels right. that the GMC so, has. But I can go barn doors or I can go down. Yes. Oh, well, then, it's, and, then it's a better solution. And it'll then. hold 2,000 pounds. Excuse me, what? So the tailgate will support 2,000 pounds. I... But so here's the interesting. With, wait, wait, wait with, with what? Just with cables? Just standard just cables? The, the structure. Yeah, it's the structure of the tailgate will support 2,000 pounds. So you, you have to worry about For damaging. example, you couldn't put on a current Silverado or Ram, you couldn't put 2,000 pounds on the tailgate, could yeah, you? Yeah, sure you could. You can? Yeah, so this is built so that you can use it like a truck. You don't have to worry about damaging it. So it has okay. that built in. But here's where I think it's different. So I was talking to Jim Morrison at Ram, and I said, are you offering this on the heavy duties? He says, no, only on the half tons. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's only 2,000 pounds. 
because if you have seven thousand pounds of payload and you're sliding it against the tailgate, you might you know you might break it. But okay. with the payload capacity of the half ton, it makes sense. Although, in my opinion, I think the Ram tailgate makes more sense for the heavy duty buyer who's likely going to have more trailer towing and want that bed access than a half ton guy. I think you're right, and I think the GMC, which they're also putting on the heavy duties. Makes a lot more sense on the half ton market because of the usage case. So it's just <laughs> they're this, both backwards. They're both cool, but they're both yeah. the, the very very cool. Um, I, I think we're gonna have to give it a couple of years to see how people actually use it. You and know see how, how durable how many, they are. Construction guys towing the whole yeah, thing. Like see, I don't think yeah. I don't think we know how people are gonna use it. But right. anyway, tailgate wars. In effect, I think apparently this is gonna be the next bastion of the truck wars. Now, what is it again? Welcome to the 2019 2020. Get yourself into the ring. <laughs> well done. That's funny. That was. I uh, had some Billy Bargain coming out there. I did know, you I feel it? A little bit, I feel you a got little a little bit of there. Southern twang yeah, coming through there. I was going to pull you back because I don't want you to mix characters. Okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> uh, Ram was not done making news of the Chicago Auto Show. Uh, I didn't hear about okay, any so, other so news. So you're a you're a big chassis cab fan. Right, Medium yes, I am. Fan, yes. I like our chassis in her cab, you know. Well, uh, <laughs> then you're really gonna like the new Ram chassis cab. Like really? Oh, really? Why? Be- why? Like really? Okay. Oh, I know why. Why? Because they're including the electronics and then the interior package that you can get on the 2500. Right. So yeah, so you can now get a limited trim level. Chassis cab. Uh, yes. So for all you guys out in the Texas oil fields or Montana or Idaho who get your chassis cab and put your own utility bed on it, who have always been pissed that you get screwed out of nice wood and nice leather and all right. the technology, you can get a fully appointed chassis cab limited now, 4,500, 5,500 RAM, and have all the capability that you want. Right. And it even has adaptive cruise control, uh, blind spot monitoring, and like you get all the that. giant screen. The 12 inch screen is now right. available in the chassis cab. Oh, that is so smart. There's so many guys that, that haul, you know, they, or the guys that have no bed at all or any anything on the back, and they just put the fifth wheel and they've got those car haulers yeah. and they yeah. get gypped. Right. Because you know, they get a got, crappy interior. Yeah, not anymore. Work. No, Ram said we will give you the option of having it. So now, if you're using a chassis cab to pull your $200,000 horse trailer, you can have the full tilt interior and everything go with it. That's Which smart. is awesome. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a great move. And so the stock engine is the Ram 6.4 liter Hemi. Uh, it will be 410 horsepower and 429 pound-feet of torque. Uh, and then, of course, you're going to have the uh, the Cummins in there. So the Cummins, because it's in the medium-duty chassis, has a different durability requirement. It's oh, you're going to tell me it's derated. 360-800. Boo. Um, but <laughs> I'm booing 800. Yeah, I know, which, which is yeah, <laughs> which is crazy. Right. Um, but they come standard with the Eisen six-speed, which you can only get the Eisen six-speed and the Max Tow thousand in the consumer trucks. So all chassis cabs have the more heavy-duty. So look, you're going to get that thing, and you're going to instantly hot rod it, right? I I would. Yeah. Ram claims a segment best payload capacity, twelve thousand five hundred pounds. Payload. 12,000 pounds um, payload. Wait, 12,500 you said? 12,510 pounds of payload <laughs> uh, max in their chassis cap. And you can tow 35,220 pounds. 
How so. many chili dogs would that be? <laughs> That's a lot of. That would be like at least as many that have been through the studio over time, right? Like six <laughs> stories of chili dogs vertically, right? Oh, dude, that's a lot of chili dogs. <laughs> I don't um, know yeah, what made me think of that. But they're sort of soft and pliable. I'm sure you can mush them all together. Yeah, in there, you, right? you have to put them in some kind of like a wrap. You know what I mean? So. Like those machines where they uh, they put they're like circular pallets, and you wrap like if you have tons of boxes, and you go wrap, wrap, <laughs> yeah, wrap, wrap, right. wrap. And it, so, w- can you imagine like a cylinder of of chili dogs? <laughs> no, three stories tall. I, I, I have no idea why. Why. <laughs> you would say that I don't know uh, just uh, imagine going down the street with three stories tall of chili do think, dogs do in saran wrap that would grab more attention than the Wienermobile yeah yeah well because you couldn't get under bridges did you see that I posted a picture of the original <laughs> Dodge based uh, Wienermobile on our social I don't know three or four weeks ago yes I, I'm, like, one. I'm like hey guess what this is and everybody's having fun that's the Wienermobile oh, you cool. and I need to drive the Wienermobile so there's a way to make that happen allegedly I just don't know what do you mean Oscar Mayer is based here. Yeah, but there's a company. By the way, one of our listeners reached out and says he services the Wienermobile. Oh. And he was possibly going to try and find us some information. Okay. So we'll see. By the way, servicing the Wienermobile, is that a euphemism? (laughs) It it is, in fact, a euphemism. That's what she said. Yeah. Um, Also at the Chicago Auto Show, Toyota uh, updated the Tacoma. With a few uh, tweaks here and there. Visually, nothing nothing spectacular. A lot of people coming with more diesel rumors, haven't they? Uh, yep, but that has nothing to do with the Tacoma. Oh, it was it was the uh, Tundra? Uh, s- still not getting a diesel. I understand that. That's why I said rumors. Yeah. No, the, eh, eh. no really? Just, just no? It's more, you've heard it for the they, last 10 years? They build as many trucks as they can, and they're happy selling what they have. Although, they did add the TRD Pro package to the Sequoia SUV. So TRD Pro package on the Sequoia. So now they have a Tundra, oh. Sequoia, a Forerunner, Tacoma, and all get the uh, TRD uh, off-road package. Okay. Uh, did you hear that Toyota announced a Land Cruiser Heritage Edition? No. Uh, so basically, the 2020 Land Cruiser Heritage Edition, uh, Toyota says, honors the evolution of the Land Cruiser, which uh, started six de- uh, decades ago in 1958. Clearly a bare bones vehicle back then, totally different than the. I mean, is now. that a nice way of saying where you got a stripped down version? What are they doing? Uh, no, they are. I, I think it's actually the opposite of that. Although it'll have two rows instead of three to maximize cargo. You can get a midnight black or blizzard pearl. It'll have a black accented grille and bronze 18 inch forged aluminum wheels. And then the Toyota logo is prominently displayed in the center cap. Uh, and there's a vintage style Land Cruiser exterior badge on the D pillar. Hmm. And so if you are interested in uh, – So some minor enhance, yeah. enhancements, yeah. It's just – you know, it's basically just uh, taking advantage of the um, of the celebration of the anniversary and doing something a little bit special. Gotcha. So, anyway, we've had Land Cruisers before, and they only have a few thousands come to the uh, you know, America every year, and they're great. They're fantastic vehicles. I mean, off-road, Why so amazing. few? Do we know? Uh, I just low know. demand? Yeah, I mean they're pretty expensive. I think they're like up in the seventy, eighty thousand dollar range. And then there's a Lexus version of it too. You can't see me, but my mouth is agape. Seventy K, really? Yeah, I was unaware of that. Yeah, they're oh. uh, they've definitely uh, gone up in price over the years. Who's who's that market? Who's spending seventy K on a Toyota? Uh, there are apparently a couple thousand people a year to do it. Yeah, I mean it's a great vehicle though. I mean it's uh, I think it's underrated to be it's honest. It's gonna be a lot more it's body on frame. It's V eight. It's got you know locking diffs. I mean it's it's a pretty capable vehicle. It's right. it's. The equivalent of the Nissan Patrol overseas, which is our Armada and our Infiniti QX, which the Patrol overseas and Land Cruiser overseas are kind of like Range Rovers to the rest of the world. But um, the Patrol is not of that price point, is it, overseas? 
I mean, are they are they equal overseas? And yeah, they're competitors overseas. But oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And and but I mean, price wise as well. I mean, I guess they, they compete directly with each other. I don't know what, how many rupees it'll cost you in India <laughs> or, or dinir and wherever. But um, no, it's uh, they're they're competitors, and they sort of hold a different place here in the U.S. Where the Armada is is based on the patrol platform, but it's cheaper than a Land Cruiser. And then the QX and then the Lexus LX fight each other out over here, so okay. up, up above on top. And then uh, Ram this last week, because, of course, Ram isn't done making news. Uh, they offered a uh, 2019 1500 Classic, which is the current body style, not the new body style. Okay. Yep. Just, just uh, some excitement to get move those last yeah. units, right? So they have a little bit of overlap at the factories while, you know— um, they ramp up production of the new truck, and they have you know some of the less expensive older models out. So they have a package called the Warlock, which in 1977, <laughs> Dodge had a war, uh, Warlock pickup. Okay. And so they're doing that Warlock name on a, uh, on a package for the, uh, the classic. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about that name, Warlock. Yeah, I mean, it sounds sort of old school. It feels dated. It, it feels it like does. on the side, there's the guy with the pulling the chick. You know, he's like a... Uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, with long <laughs> hair, and he's pulling the the chick by her hair, and she's backwards and dragging her, and he's like warlock. No, no, no. To me, it's uh, like uh, uh, Samantha's brother on uh, Bewitched. Oh, that's not—he's not a warlock. That's all dainty. <laughs> he's really frail. There's and... a warlock on there, I'm sure. Yeah, but it's not. Or like warlock boats. You remember those warlock oh, boats? That, well, that was cool, though. Warlock. I don't boats. know if they're still around, but they were pretty badass in their day. Yeah. Huh. I have no idea. I don't know how I feel about Warlock. So here's the deal. If you get the Warlock edition, uh, you get a bunch of really cool design cues. You get the uh, RAM Ram that, uh, grill that was once on the nose of the old Ram Rebel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you get the projector uh, headlights with the dark bezels. You get mm-hmm. LED taillights, LED fog lights. Um, you get a black badging and mm-hmm. hood decal. Ooh. Oh, is the decal... Conan the Barbarian? <laughs> no, but it, no? it's a warlock, not a barbarian. Oh, yeah. I just keep like, uh, but it's the same like. Rrr, you know? Yeah, right. A Except warlock, warlock has magic. Well, warlock has magic, but a war. Okay, so you have a you have a magician, uh-huh. but a warlock is always evil. I mean, maybe not in real life, but, well, we don't have warlocks I don't know. in real life. Yeah, but, like, real? but a warlock, when you call a warlock, he's not. A warlock, hmm. isn't a warlock like a guy witch? Yes, that's okay. exactly yeah. what it is. All right. But, I, but he, to me, it conjures up like power and evil. Well, I think that's what they're trying to get is the younger buyer who can't afford the new truck. Here's a badass you know, package if you want to do it. So also has black finish 20-inch wheels, standard, uh, powder-coated front rear bumpers, a one-inch suspension uh, lift, and heavy-duty rear shocks. So it's a pretty decent truck, right? Okay, yeah. Um, and then it has a cloth interior, um, but it still comes with – you know, it's like a mix of like low-end stuff. But then some cool features like rear parking sensors and a luxury group that has like a leather-wrapped steering wheel and auto-dimming rearview mirror and overhead console and – you know, all that kind of stuff. And you get the awesome 8.4-inch infotainment system. And so it's- 8.4. Come on now. Really? You're just, you're just, be- Ram outdid themselves with Dude, the Dude, I got right? an 8.4 in my truck. You know what I mean? Hey, you can well, upgrade. You just get, call Alpine. What and up? Got yeah. an 8.4? Yeah. Got an 8.4? <laughs> um, so anyway, it's actually a pretty decent price. It'll start at $37,040. Okay. And you get all that, you know, 20-inch wheels and all the looks and all that kind of stuff. So, hey- not not a bad truck, right? I mean, I, I think uh, I think for the right guy out there who's looking for a good looking truck and a lot of value in uh, the half ton market and and wants something new, that might be something that you are they're interested in. And that's what's new in trucks. Oh, thank you, Holman. Uh, are you wearing your dancing clothes? Why do you ask? <laughs> because it's inbox time. Yay! You email? Yeah, I email. Do it. 
batter up. All right, this uh, email is from Justin who says, Important information regarding your mounted parameters. Oh, my what? Mounted monitor key engine parameters. He says, hello, Lightning and Holman. You're welcome. Oh, yeah. Right, that's right. great. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I'm glad he said Lightning and Holman. He says, uh, first, you're welcome for that Lightning. <laughs> <laughs> Second, I've been trying to compose an email for the past few months, and I get sidetracked and busy. I drive a kid. Wait, how, how tough is it to compose an email? Come on I now. have had an email in my draft that I, yeah, I get it. Okay. I've been busy where I'm like, I just can't do this right now, but I want to. You're just not right in the headspace yeah, or something? Yeah, I guess so. He says, I drive a Kenworth in the oil fields of West Texas. Oh, jealous. So I've decided to just keep it how I've been thinking and adding to my notes. So sorry for misspellings and lack of punctuation. Okay. Oh, yeah. We get a lot of those. If you guys could add a couple periods here and there or <laughs> commas, it really helps us out. <laughs> we don't know where to stop or breathe. <laughs> he says, uh, so these are kind of in like bullet point form, uh, but no punctuation, so no bullet points. Just, okay, just right? in bullet point form. He says, Gail Banks needs his own podcast. Let's say story time with Gail Banks and the story of washing machines and his wife telling him not to touch it reminded me of home improvement <laughs> yep says uh between this podcast and following rst girl on instagram it's really ignited my passion for those cat eye chevy side note she's from y'all's area and should have her on i want to have a sport truck again well, who's, what, who's he talking about uh rst girl on instagram because she's from our area okay i'm not familiar with her i don't know why is he bringing her up because he thinks he sh- uh, she should be on our podcast RST girl. So we'll have to do a little research on that. Okay, hold on. You, you keep okay. reading. I want to look her up. He says, I want a sport truck again. I recently sold my 0173, and I'm currently on the search for one that checks all my boxes. After I've been listening to your podcast, one of my coworkers got a 2016 Nissan Titan with the Cummins. They let me drive it, and I was surprised that I liked it as much as I did. Are those equipped with those seats you mentioned? Well, yes, they are. Those are the zero-gravity seats that Nissan has. Super, super comfortable, and honestly... First time anybody sits in a Titan, they're usually talking about how comfortable the seats yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, he says, Lightning, your question on things do a great job at grounding Holman when he starts using a bunch of industry terms. <laughs> <laughs> I also like extreme ve- uh, with vehicles I've had lifted in lower trucks. And, of course, my diesels have always had some goodies from banks. And when that rear diff cover comes out, I'll be buying one for my future GMT 800 if they're available. Also, I've liked all your jingles since the beginning. Holman, it's awesome that you enjoy sharing the insider knowledge that you have. I love betting people with Chevys about the steering wheel. The look on their faces is awesome. And oh, by the way, we took a vote and have decided to make you officially an honorary Texan. Yes! What? Yes! Yes! What? Due to your love of Dr. Pepper and brisket, but I need to try that Dr. Pepper-based barbecue sauce of yours. And of course, because of your love of trucks. Oh, that's I'm cool. an honorary Texan. Yeah, that's cool. Can we hang a Texas flag in the studio? Well, what they say is everything is uh, bigger in Texas, uh, and there's absolutely. no question about you. Well, we'll be in Texas later uh, this week. Yeah, well, we should give that information right now. All right. I don't think we've done it yet, right? Yeah. So we are going to be at the, uh, crap, what's the? B-52? B-52. B-52 Brewery in Conroe, Conroe, Texas. That is this Saturday night. This Saturday night from, let's call it 7 to 10. I think they're close at 10. Yeah, I think, <laughs> so we, oh, yeah, we may right. close it down, uh, yeah, depending so on how many people come. Right, anyway. right, right. So just look it up, and I think we've got- if It'll be Saturday on, the 23rd. Yeah, which, yeah, that's why I said, is this Saturday? But I'm telling people, in case you don't know, Saturday, February 23rd. Oh, if they're hearing this too late, they've yes, already missed it. Right, exactly. exactly. Okay, so yeah, don't 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 be lame. If you're anywhere near Conroe, Texas, come see us. We'll be there. Uh, we're going to try and bring some shirts up. Those are probably going to go fast. Yeah, uh, stickers. We'll, we'll have stickers yeah, for we'll, sure. We'll definitely have stickers. We're just going to hang out and drink beers. Uh, by the way, I was looking at our um, our post, right? Because uh, anybody who wants to go to our Facebook page, at Truck Show Podcast, and you'll see a Truck Show Podcast listener meetup post on there that has the details. We have seven people who RSVP'd and 47 who are interested. I would like uh, all, all 54 people <laughs> yeah. to show up. Please. Yes. Hey, so I looked up RST Girl. Okay. And I have... Okay. 
I got to assume she's over 18. So, okay. all, uh, right. So, if, if that's the case, then uh, you guys should follow her. It's our, her name is Claudia. She has 196,000 followers. Oh, my gosh. She's a mechanic and engineer for NASCAR. If you're into cars, trucks, and attractive women, I guess this is the spot. Holy mackerel. Okay. Well, if uh, maybe we can get her on the show because she sounds super legit. And, and she's standing next to, but here's the thing it looks like she drives a lowered. Look at that guy. That is a. Oh, yeah. What, what like, year is that uh, Silverado? Let's see. That would be a uh, GMT 800 truck, and it's got the. Uh, I guess. I guess that would be the cat eye model. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that's where our our listener fell in love. She with She has more likes on that photo than we have uh, on our entire page. Yeah. So Justin continues. He says, uh, "I've also got a handful or two of people start listening, and oh yeah, one more thing, and it is five, five stars. stars." He says, "Yeah, buddy." He says, uh, just in case he gets red on the show. Don't go right over that. Yeah, buddy. He gave us his address in case we have shirts. But you know what? That box of shirts I took home uh, Mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago? Yeah. There's not that many shirts in there. No. It was all like sweatshirts and stuff. Well, don't say that. Now they're going to ask for sweatshirts. But there's not sweatshirts in there anymore. Oh. I handed them all out to the neighbor kids. Oh, yeah. No, you um, did not. But there's not that many shirts did you, in there. You didn't do that, really. What? They were not for neighbors. Who are they for? They were for listeners, they were... or they were for people. That they were for <laughs> Nissan and Decked. Oh, all right. I'll go get them back. You moron. <laughs> <laughs> no, I still have them. Okay, good. Uh, anyway, so uh, thanks, Justin. We appreciate you uh, sending that email finally, uh, introducing us to a new Instagram star that we should have on to uh, grow our little show. And uh, most importantly, thanks for uh, making Lightning's name first and being an honorary Texan. Yeah, thank you. All right, this one's from Aaron. Uh, greetings, LNH. First off, I love the show. I can't believe it took me so long to find find you guys, though. I started listening just before SEMA with episode 33 when David Freiberger mentioned the show on Instagram. And we love David, and we got to have him on again. By the way, our biggest show ever. Is that true? It is. Okay, good. I says I was instantly hooked and promptly binged my way through the episodes. The oddity of the jingle surprised me on that first listen, but once I realized the overall nature of the show, they made complete sense, and now I always am like singing along. (laughs) I really enjoy harnessing my inner David Lee Roth with the grunts on what's new in trucks, so he was with us. (laughs) That's funny. That's so funny knowing you guys do that. Um, As a mechanical engineer, I look forward to the Industry Insider News and uh, the King of the Hammers coverage. Has me reminiscing back to my college days and competing in SAE Mini Baja. Oh, awesome. That's way cool. So SAE is a group of- um, Society of Automotive Automotive Engineers. Engineers. Okay, yes. Uh, Regardless, my favorite segment is definitely episode 10, A Moment with an Announcer. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So much so that I made up my own Mounted Parameters t-shirt. Oh, look at that. And yes, I would definitely pay for some truck show podcast merchandising. And he says, yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. I got to give him a mount of parameters as well. And um, Aaron's world's longest email goes on to say, with all the recent HD truck news, I felt it was very timely to tell you about a car spotting uh, game me and my three sons came up with a couple of years ago. It's very similar to the slug bug minus punching. Does everyone know what slug bug Uh, is? Everybody knows what slug bug is. Okay. Uh, The score, I don't think everyone does. Everybody knows what slug bug is. You know, it's, again... If you know, you know. Okay. Keep going. All right, got it. The scoring hierarchy starts with the lowly flatbed, a single rear tire axle truck with a flat or bale bed. I think that's S- a utility bed for like bales of hay and stuff like that. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Slightly better is a flatbed dually, a dually axle truck with a flat or bale bed. And the most desirable to spot is the almighty big butt truck. Obviously, a fully fender dually. 
It definitely makes you have one of those. I do indeed. <laughs> so people are getting punched when they see me. <laughs> Apparently, okay. And it says uh, it definitely makes family road tripping a lot more fun. And my wife and I often find ourselves calling out "big butt truck" at inopportune <laughs> times, making for oh. some interesting situations with friends and coworkers. That could be a segment, "big butt truck." Yes, it should. Be. <laughs> we should figure out what what to make of that. Absolutely. <laughs> and he uh, he says, "Keep up the great work." And Five stars! Thank you, Aaron. Uh, here's a short one from our buddy Trevor, who uh, emails us from time to time. He says, HDSOD started Monday, just finished Tuesday. The HDSOD gets 50 stars! Oh, wait, wait, wait. Do, wait. He said what? 50 stars. Oh, let's do it again. <laughs> 50 stars! <laughs> oh, that's right. That is... Well, we already told you how long it is. We don't intend to ever do that again. Unless we get Gale. <laughs> Not on maybe, purpose, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, this one's from Rich, and he says, Being from the UK... Oh, nice, it's Rich from the UK again. I'd like to hear about a trade school or to see how it compares to my own experience going through an apprenticeship to be a mechanic working on ex-military vehicles for a museum. Well, that is a That's very odd and specific cool. job. Yeah, yeah it okay. is. So he's working on everything from a Land, Land Rover Defenders and trailers with 20-liter single-turbo diesel V8s wow. and 27-liter twin-turbo V12s and the tanks that these uh, power packs go in. Awesome. They're called power packs because anything is designed to be taken in and out as one unit. Just electrical connections and fuel lines going between the pack and the full hull of the tank. I finished school at 16 years old and went straight into an apprenticeship and have been here for the uh, past seven years. Come this September. The reason I can't leave a five-star review on iTunes is because I'm an Android user and I listen via Podbean. That's cool. Thanks again, Rich. Well, dude, we appreciate it. Yeah, and, uh, I what love, you can I love do- from our, hearing from our guys overseas. We've got so many people. I think we're up to 96 countries that our podcast has been downloaded in. That's rad. Which is, which is awesome. So, Rich, here's what we ask you to do. Turn one of your friends or coworkers onto us who has an iPhone. Or and then have them leave the five star review. Just ask if you could borrow their phone real quick. Do that. Do yeah, there you go. Yes, please. All right, we've got one uh, here from Seth HD episode. Guys, congratulations on an awesome episode. I didn't even notice that it was super long for the first two hours. <laughs> Says then when I thought it was about to wrap up, I got sad. I was all excited for the interviews Holman had teased, and I thought I'd have to wait a week to hear the rest. Then I checked the progress bar thing and. Saw there was a whole hour left, which got me really excited. <laughs> By the way, that's what happened to us. Yeah. He says, I'm not a diesel guy, and I'll likely nev- never be unless there's a drastic uh, paradigm shift in my future, but I still enjoy hearing about these heavy-duty trucks. The nice thing is now, even if I do end up needing HD truck, I can have the gas option. Things have gotten crazy in the truck world and even crazier in the heavy-duty truck world. I'm very curious to see what Ford comes out with later this year. Keep up the great work, gentlemen. There's almost no suckage in this episode. The only small bit of suckage was when Corey was on the phone and he kept getting talked over. Ha ha. Yeah. Thanks for all the work you guys put into this. It's a great show. Sincerely, Seth. Hey, I have to, let's address this since we talk about this often. We do. You know, we're not pros. Yes, I come from radio and homeless from the magazine industry, but we honestly get excited and we have to make eye contact. We sit, well, I don't know, it's a, it's a four by eight table, whatever this we thing is. We can touch hands. We can diagonal. just barely touch hands. We're diagonal across the desk from each other. And we have to look at each other and hold our hands up like a stop sign and say, don't say anything yet. Let the guest finish. And we are guilty of many times jumping over the guest because we're so excited to ask for the next question. We need that stop sign thinking that you're going to make. We need the digital the, the LED digital stop LED sign. sign. But instead of your headlights, are always, you should just say shut up on it. <laughs> exactly. And we just hold that up to each other. Don't say anything yet. Yeah. So we do apologize if we jump on the guests and we try not to, but sometimes it's difficult to contain our enthusiasm. It happens. We're sorry. Uh, Ryan says Big Three versus D3. 
Hey guys, is it Big 3 or Detroit 3? I li- just listened to episode 51 and KJ said Big 3, but I work for Toyota and I hear Detroit 3 from them for obvious reasons. Kind of wondered what Nissan and the rest of the world calls them. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, Ryan, it's uh, Big 3. And because you are working for a Japanese company is why they call it the Detroit 3. But outside of the Japanese companies, everybody basically refers to it as the Big 3. Uh, it's pretty standard across the industry. So hmm. I look at my pants and I see the Big 3. Um, <laughs> the big three stains from your lunch that you dropped on there? Or did those hit your belly yes, first? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's it. I am on a diet. I mean, right. It's just uh, all I'm eating is uh, no carbs and a lot of Monster with uh, no sugar. That thing is a week old. Yeah. And yeah I'm enjoying it. Still I'm almost done with it. Yeah. Horrible. Uh, Kip says, Ode to the El Camino. He says, Lightning and Holman, thanks for doing what you do. The Truck Show podcast is easily my favorite podcast now. Listening to the show at work keeps me sane, and the jingles are really funny. I sometimes find myself singing the intro because it's so awkward and funny. As a show about trucks, I think- Awkward and funny. Okay. Uh, I think you really should do a show (laughs) sometime on all those cool trucks and cars that have been made over the years, like the El Camino Ranchero. Oh. Interesting. We would have to have Freiberger back for that. I think he would be uh, clutch in a uh, in a show about, I agree. Yep. about not quite trucks. Yeah. It'd be the not tri- not quite truck episode. Write that down. Not, not quite not, truck episode. Hold on, writing. Not quite, quite truck episode. Truck episode. I, that could be fun, right? Mm-hmm. What if we found some like old sixties engineers? I don't think it's a story? I don't think it's a truck episode. I think it's I think that's a cars segment. with a bed episode. We'll rethink it. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll make I, it work. I, I do like the idea though. I think that's I think it's a solid uh I think that's a sh- solid show idea. He says, uh, in my opinion, they're really underrated because you get the good half of a muscle car and the utility of a truck. <laughs> uh, you know, okay, or they're like a mullet, you know, business in the front, party in the back. Uh, he says, what's not to like? Anyway, keep it up. The episode with Gail Banks were super interesting. I'm going to re-listen to them right after I go and rate you. Five stars. Love that. He says, uh, P.S. Nissan is great. My 2001 Nissan Frontier has 226,000 miles. Dang. And is still running like a champ with nothing but normal maintenance. They've made me a believer in their quality product. I only wish they would have made the Frontier with the baby Cummins for sale over here. Oh, well. Uh, for a while, they were teasing the Frontier with uh, the little, I think it was a 2.8 Cummins for Oh, that's right. And uh, never nothing ever came of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, so, it's so ironic that they would give you a five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. You're never going to need it. Yeah, it's silly. I think that's the point. I, man, I like, get, hey, you know, course, it's a smart business decision. But for me, I'm like, it's great to have, but you don't get to exercise it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got one here that says uh, suckage meter HD episode. Ooh, uh oh, uh oh. I'm I'm worried. Should I read this? Uh, hold on. Let me get the buzzer ready. Let's. Okay. T- I'm going to test it. Uh, okay. All right, this is from Clark. Okay. It says hi, Lightning and Holman, or Holman and Lightning, mm-hmm. which is the way I prefer it. Uh, no. Just finished the HD episode on Thursday afternoon, as you guys predicted. Oh, no. After 53 episodes, oh, no. my sucking meter has finally dropped to the low end of the scale. What? Oh, yes. Well, hold yes. on. It gets better. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, not that much sucking. Beautiful listener. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're both a gentleman and a scholar. Oh, you guys are too kind. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Mom. Oh, you up there? Hey! What's up to the terrace? Hey, I like the sign. I like the sign. <laughs> uh, anyway, says uh, what's li- wrong with us? Oh, uh, lots. Uh. He says, uh, listening to your show over here in Germany, I wait every Monday morning. Germany, Germany, right? Solid. I love hearing from people who are listening in other parts of the world. He says, uh, I wait every Monday morning to get the new show, and then painfully waiting a further eight hours after listening to the first thirty minutes on my way to work for the second installment. On my way home. Oh, that's cool. Says the uh, content of late has been great with industry experts dishing out the news and fact. You should definitely bring back Aaron Kaufman, Mike Finnegan's They Rock. While you're at it, bring in Mr. Banks as well again. I think, uh, man, man, people they, love they, Gale. They love Gale, man. 
Uh, I'm in the process of restoring an 83 Ford F-250 HD from the ground up with my three kids getting the daily dosage of wrench time. Bought the truck sight unseen when it was still in a shipping container between SoCal and Germany. Unfortunately, with the restrictions here on historic cars, it will have the stock outward appearance to pass inspection. However... Inside the 460 might be a different story, smiley face. Oh, interesting. <laughs> he says, a couple of pictures of the truck and helpers. Uh, who'd all love a t-shirt if you can afford postage and a sticker for the truck. If you feel really flush, I'm a large. Keep up the good work and wait for it. Five stars! Dude, Clark, Sweet. right on, man. So Clark sent us a picture of uh, him and his boys working on it and uh, and his daughter, too. Wow, this is awesome. You can't share the photo. You can just uh, go hog it. I'm, I'm trying to resize it so I can show it to you. He's got uh, okay. this little guy What's here. That? Oh, dude, he's cute. Uh, and then his daughter. Yep. Oh, she's super cute. Yeah, and for then sure. It looks like his older boy here working on the uh, the hubs. Yeah, you didn't resize it well. You made him look like Job of the Hut. <laughs> yeah, that they, kid right this, there. That's just my computer. That's <laughs> you, G- you stretch Gmail. <laughs> Thank you, Gmail. Um, this one's pretty funny. Holman ate my email. What? This is Ronnie again. Okay. I said, hey, guys, thanks for reading my email on the last week's HD episode. My daughter thought it was hilarious that you not only tried to keep my offer to yourself, but then tried to eat the written copy. Oh, this is the one <laughs> where you put it in your mouth. Oh, uh, yeah, because I didn't want you to <laughs> find out about it. Uh, she, he says, uh, she still hates the email jingle, by I the way. I was hoping you were going to choke on it. But she thinks. Yeah. Just like I was hoping the but monster I'd, would I'd, rot your gut yeah, out. Yeah, but I'd heim like you. That's I would rather die. <laughs> Don't touch me. I'm dying. I want to die with dignity. I'm not going to do it. No, you know what? I'm, not, I'm going to do the karate chop right between your shoulder blades. Ugh. That's what I would do. Uh, I guess I better hope I pass out face down. But then <laughs> how do I expel the paper from my mouth? I don't know. Ooh, uh, I would totally take advantage of you. That'd be hilarious. Uh, you'd be drawing <laughs> things on me instead of me on your whiteboard in your office. Exactly. Uh, anyway, he says uh, she still hates the email jingle, by the way, but... Is there any way you can make it downloadable so I can make her a ringtone? <laughs> We've actually had a lot of people who have been asking for us to make ringtones out of our jingles. Yeah. Which I think is kind of funny. I think it's, uh, no, nah, I'm conflicted. Because I like it. It's I don't want you to listen to it all the time. I want you to want to enjoy it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That way you come back to yeah, it. sparingly. Says anytime you guys find yourself. It's like spice. Way too much spice. You know, you're, you're a cook. You're a really good yeah. cook. You, if you put too much spice, it ruins it. Yeah, it does ruin it. Yeah, so yeah. you need to like want it over. Sparingly. Yeah, yeah you got you to gotta make it right. There's yeah. a balance in there. Says anytime you guys find yourselves in Northern Virginia, we can definitely arrange a little range time. And a tour of the FBI Academy. Oh. Uh, he says uh, he still needs a physical address for the casting couch so he can send us some stuff. So uh, I replied and yeah. sent the address. So. And the next one is from uh, Ben Jones, and the subject line is, yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. And it says, Dear Lightning and Holman, first off, I have to say that I love the podcast. It keeps me entertained while driving around in Pennsylvania. Um, what's what's WV? It's not West, West Virginia. West Virginia, of yeah. course it is. Yeah. And Ohio, in my service truck, uh, 2015 F5567 with 191,000 miles. And, uh, oh, he's got a picture of it. Oh, deep in snow right there. Isn't that awesome? And he says, out here making some heat. Yeah, and buddy. And he goes, and uh, a while back, I remember you guys saying you wanted to hear from someone who drives a tractor. And while I'm not a farmer, my family collects, restores, and pulls antique tractors. Wow. Dude, look at that picture of him, his dad. We, oh, my Lord. <laughs> Dude, wheelies. Look at that. That is, is awesome. gorgeous. Ugh. This is crazy. We hit the mother load with, uh, <laughs> with him. My dad and granddad have been pulling since the early 90s, and I started when I was old enough at 12. 12 is old enough to drive a tractor? I Heck guess yeah. That's awesome. Oh, I, w- I was driving uh, my uncle's tractor at his ranch 
when I was 12. He's like, hey, you want to drive a tractor? And I'm like, heck yeah. I missed out by growing up in the suburbs. This just, yeah. Um, I'm 28 now, and I wouldn't trade the times I've gotten to spend with those two for anything. And they go, oh, dude, here he is wheeling. That is a badass yeah, cool. tractor. It is fully restored. This yeah, thing it's is beautiful. Sexy. And under the uh, picture with him wheeling, we, we do need to share this photo right here of him wheeling in this tractor. It says, uh, Dad's 57 Farmall 450. And then here he is sitting in the uh, in the Farmall 300. And then a couple scrolls down on this email, he's got another picture of uh, his family, uh, the, all the men in the family around a tractor. And says, Dude, uh, that Farmall is awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. And he's got a um, kind of one of those cardboard things you'd make like a uh, display at school. Like you a know, trifold. Like a trifold. Yeah, for your yeah. science fair project. Yeah, it's like seventh grade, exactly. It says restoration of the 400. He's got all the, the photos from beginning to end of the restoration. He wasn't joking. Well, read the caption on that one. That is so awesome. Yeah, so he says, I added a fourth generation this year. With my son Cyrus, bonus points if you can find the tractor connection there. Oh, Cyrus. What's the what's the tractor connection to the name Cyrus? Cyrus. We're idiots because there's people who know what we're talking about. What's Google it real quick. What is there a Cyrus tractor? Is the guy who started Farmall named Cyrus? Oh, this is gonna kill me. And I know you guys know as you're listening to and you're beating your hands on the dashboard or your steering wheel. Right now, goddamn lightning for not knowing Cyrus, dude. Do you not know? You don't know? Yeah, of course I do. No, you don't. You're reading it. No, I totally know. I was just verifying <laughs> to make you sure. You lying sack of dump. Oh, what dude. is it? What's the connection between Cyrus I, and tractors? I think how dare you is what I think. Mm, no, I no. think how dare you because uh, you're still reading. You're delaying right now. What's the answer? No. How about Cyrus Hall McCormick? Yes. From. February 15th, 1809, he passed away May 13th, 1884. This is all in my head, Lightning. <laughs> he was an American inventor and businessman. And close, by the way, close your laptop and say this. He founded McCormick Harvesting Machine Company, and guess what that became? That's right, International Harvester. Ooh, what do you got now, Lightning? You're dumb, and I'm smart, and I knew Cyrus Connection. Boom! Mic drop! <laughs> God, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I just you just because I don't know about tractors, my friend. <laughs> Pictured here, four generations on Granddad's other four hundred that we completely restored to factory conditions. Not just a paint job; everything was apart, resealed, rebuilt, or and or repainted. Man, that thing is like museum, super museum cherry. quality. We're also a diehard Ford family. Oh, and he's got a cool picture of a uh, an '89 Ford F three fifty seven three IDI, and he says he uses it as a service truck. He yeah, bought it a cool couple of years bed. ago, knowing that the uh, the frame was in bad shape. After removing the bed, it became apparent that it was uh, considerably worse than I thought. So I broke the passenger side of the frame in half with a chipping oh hammer. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I spent the following winter stripping the truck down and found a used frame to put it under. It's now running and driving again, and I even found a set of doors off a Centurion truck and added power windows and locks. <laughs> the wood grain trim pieces are an extra bonus. Please excuse the multiple. Uh, so so he says, it's a green truck, but he's got the old Centurion. It looks like the hood, front fenders, and door. And me, I got I, I got to get this out. There. Please excuse the multitude of colors. And uh, yeah, so explain this truck. To so me, it's Holman. it's a green regular cab F three fifty dually with a uh, service bed on the back, except the doors, fenders, and hood are all red, and the doors and fenders clearly having come from a Centurion, which was an upgraded uh, upfitter. Interesting graphics package. It's got a cool graphic. <laughs> but he's laughing. He's he's making me laugh because he's talking about the wood grain and stuff. So 
basically, Centurion used to take those old F-Series trucks and would, like, make them more luxurious. Oh, like, like, them? Yeah, like a uh, roll-along. They made, uh, like, Centurion, they made, like, the Ford Suburban equivalent in the okay. aftermarket. got it. So the fact that he found that is pretty funny that on his work truck he's got the Centurion, like, in- interior trim pieces and stuff. And to wrap it up, I thoroughly enjoy your work that you guys put into the podcast, and I'm eagerly awaiting some 2020 Super Duty content. Oh, and by the way, five, five stars! stars! And that's from Ben. Oh, right on, Ben. All right, got one last email for you here. Uh, it's Love the Podcast from Brian. He says, Dear Lightning and Holman, I've been listening to the podcast since episode one. Ooh, an original. Mm. I like that. And love the content you guys are putting out. Yes, even the jingles. I grew up working on cars and trucks with my dad in a small town outside of Sedona, Arizona. By the way, love Sedona. Oh, yeah. That is a just uh, awesome place. Uh, it says, In high school, I drove a 71 Chevy K10 short bed with a big block 454 swap, and I learned how to drive a manual in a 68 Camaro Z28. Dude, his dad is freaking awesome. Uh, he says, I've had a couple of other vehicles over the years, including a 98 Honda Civic. I had a 2001 Civic and a 2002 Tacoma TRD, but my current daily driver is a Bonestock 01 Cherokee XJ. Just sold one of those with 45,000 miles. Uh, oh, I believe I sold that before you sold your truck. And I told you that you would sell it before I would uh-huh. sell my truck. And so it doesn't hurt me. It's no burn. Uh, you knew it was coming. You didn't burn me. Um, I began. You know what burns you? You know what burns you? This monster right here? Yeah, it's mm. super gross, and you're still drinking it's it. it's a week old. Oh, my uh-huh. God. Uh-huh. I became a Jeep guy after discovering dirt every day on YouTube. It's still carbonated. Isn't that weird? Uh, that's gross. How's it carbonated after a week? How's it not super syrupy? It is. Okay. It's very syrupy. Yeah. Oh, God. It's like drinking <laughs> cough syrup. I became a Jeep guy after discovering dirt every day on YouTube and have even been a subscriber to JP for a couple of years. I haven't had a ton of time to read them recently as I'm currently in school to become a physician's assistant. Wow, way smarter than, smarter than us. Yep. yep. Do that and don't start a podcast. <laughs> it says, I'm wanting to get a Jeep Gladiator as a graduation present to myself in a few years, so I can't wait to hear what Holman has to say about it after his drive. Oh, well, I guess what's next? Uh, he says, I-, I listen to the podcast every day on my way to and from class and helps keep me from going crazy from reading too many medical textbooks. Keep up the good work. And I left you guys a review of... <gasps> Five stars! On uh, iTunes, sincerely, Brian from Arizona. Dude, we really... Really, honestly, sincerely appreciate the five-star reviews. The five-star reviews, the subscribing. And and if you can leave a couple words just to say what you like about the show, it really, really helps us. And we we, we truly are grateful. And on that note, uh, we should probably end the show. Yeah, well, 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 wait, we we never got to the Gladiator stuff because I've been telling you that I'm interested in looking at the Gladiator. It's the first Jeep I've ever cared about. But, uh, okay, so you're right. How are we going to do this? Because I've got uh, like three interviews and I don't want to, uh, I don't want to keep people too long. Bonus episode. Oh, bonus episode. Like a midweek gladiator drop. So let's say that this comes out on a Monday. You guys are listening to it. And in two days, we're going to drop some gladiator interviews. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. That's a good way. Let's do that. All right. So let's uh, let's say goodbye right now. All right. We want your emails. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Or leave us a message on the five-star hotline. The Truck Show, The Truck Show, The Truck Show, oh, oh. 657-205-6105, that is the five-star hotline, and don't forget to uh, check us out on our socials, at Truck Show Podcast. All right, and we, uh, we've got to thank Nissan for supporting the show, we couldn't do it without you guys, so uh, five-year 100,000 mile, the best in the business on the Nissan Titan. We recommend you go to your local Nissan dealer. There's probably one around the corner from you. and Check out the new uh, new Nissan Titan, whether it's gas or, or the diesel. And can't forget our associate sponsor, Decked, our friends over there who make awesome, weather-tight, lockable storage solutions for your truck or van.
And I think we're looking at a bonus episode, right? A little, uh, little, little tidbit kind of a thing. Should, like we, a little... should we hide it in this episode, like five minutes in, just like dead air and hope people find it? No. I think, we, I think <laughs> like I said, we're, let's come correct with it on a couple days from now. All right. So you guys uh, will see it pop up in your feed. It's going to be the yeah. Gladiator show. The Gladiator episode. The Gladiator. No, it's not. The JT episode. Because that makes it sound like it's a full episode. No, this is going to be a, a more a shorter. A shorter, like yeah. uh, all the cool stuff about the Gladiator, right? Gladiator bonus thingy. Yes, the uh, Gladiator uh, bonus show thingy or uh, whatever you want to go. Anyway, the something Gladiator related will show up in your feed later this week. So we're going to give you guys a two for it because we, we love you so much. are not professional. Not right now, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not.